Hello and welcome to Beanie Made, the show in which we year by year explore the movies, music, and TV that most evaded our lives. I'm your host, Republic Commando, Rod, and I'm joined by... Jesse from the block! Hey, hey, hey! Jess. <laughs> Maitre D. Jess. <laughs> that was off mic. That makes sense to no one. Um, yeah, so welcome to Media Made and uh, New Year, new show. <laughs> Same show. Yeah, 2023 is here. We've made it, kids. Uh, thank you for... Uh, Enjoying our holiday episodes. We did one for Halloween. We did one for Christmas. And now we're back to our regularly scheduled programming. Yeah, with we, a whole yeah, a whole new year. Yep. We So if you're new to the show or our normal shows, what we do is uh, we talk movies, music, and TV. Today, it's a movie episode. Mm-hmm. We have looked at a list of every movie released in the year 2002. Yes. Year of our Lord. <laughs> and... Uh, We've decided which movie each of us have seen the most in our lives. Right. Uh, you know, we had some deliberating on this one. Mistakes were made. Uh, and we all felt the brunt of those mistakes. Uh, but, but you will not have to. No, we instead will watch. Well, you get to witness a mistake of my past of watching <laughs> a movie too often. That's fair. Some mistakes can be buried. Uh, but yeah, so uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about two movies and compare them, and we're going to uh, decide which one's the winner. But seeing that it is a, it is a new year in Media Made, I get to ask the question, where were you in the year 2002? High school? No. I was still in middle school. I was in middle school. I was on the block, because I'm Jess- Jesse. Is that, eighth, is that eighth grade, going into eighth? Yes. No, yeah, 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 yeah. I was going, I was in, yeah, yeah going into eighth grade. <laughs> No, nothing nothing fancy happening in that year? No. You guys know I don't remember my my middle school years specifically. <laughs> it's been blocked out. It has been blocked out. Well, uh, I, I went into the fifth grade, 2002. I hate this part of the podcast. And I was obsessed with three things. Uh, SpongeBob SquarePants, Sonic the Hedgehog, and The Legend of Zelda. What? What about Beyblade? No. no I never got into Beyblade. I think I was into Yu-Gi-Oh! as well at this point in time. Okay. But yeah, uh, I was, I was, you know, enjoying my interests. But yeah, my, my love affair with The Legend of Zelda began probably around 2002. Aww. I, uh, I went into fifth grade and the first day our teacher asked what your favorite book was. And me and my friend Brian both said our favorite book was the Oracle of Ages slash Seasons Choose Your Own Adventure Books. <laughs> Do we have those? I yeah, like yeah, we I've, have got, those. I've got copies. I wrote some. If you'd like to read uh, some editorials about those on ZeldaDungeon.net. Hey. Got one from me and we got one from David Nystrom. Give it give it a read, yeah, kids. Yeah, yeah. You those can't books, always those books aren't expand. good, but they are interesting. I remember taking a picture of them. Taking a picture of them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We took some fancy <laughs> photos outside. Yeah. I was laying on the ground beneath the roots of a tree like, let's get some good Zelda art art. <laughs> But the, yeah, this isn't a this isn't a Zelda podcast. It's <laughs> yeah, a movie, movie podcast. He's trying. I'm trying. It's like 2002. What was going on? Uh, we, we were at war. We were at war. <laughs> Afghanistan. I was for some I was, reason. Was living in a single parent household. Oh, did your dad go off at that point? Yeah, yeah. He was he was off. He was deployed at that point. Yeah, that's that happened. That's what was happening. Back, back, if you if you know what if you were listening to the show and you weren't like fully aware of things going on in 2002 you know like if you were young it, it was like american flags as far as the eye could see <laughs> you walk down the neighborhood every single house has american flags. i mean you're not wrong it was it was a weird time yeah i'm pretty sure there was an upsurge of tattoos of american flags as well yeah it was it was weird it was weird it was a time <laughs> yeah. anyway 
We're going to talk about, uh, talk about some movies. I think, honestly, like, kind of resonated a little bit with the war-torn America that we, uh, <laughs> that we were dealing with, you know. Fair. We, oddly visceral. There were some scenes that were oddly, oddly visceral at the time that were highly representative of, like, the war in uh, Afghanistan. When was the, your movie shot? Before. That's uh, why it was, like, it, you know, it's just kind of a happy accident. Unhappy accident? Everything about this movie is unhappy. Like, oh, wow, man. Warfare in the desert? <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And what is that movie? Released May 16th, 2002, written by George Lucas and Jonathan Hales. You probably know what we're talking about. <laughs> Directed by George Lucas, starring Ewan McGregor, Natalie Portman, Ian McDermott, Samuel L. Jackson, Christopher Lee, Anthony Daniels, Kenny Baker, Frank Oz, and Hayden Christensen. Oh. That is Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. I don't like sand. I hate you. It's coarse and rough and irritating. And it gets everywhere. Not like here. Here everything is soft. And smooth. He hates sand because he lived on a sand planet. Uh, I would just <laughs> like to formally acknowledge that Hayden Christensen is not a bad actor. No, we've, we've proven seen it. seen movies with him in it that are very good and moving and dramatic and amazing. So that being said, Mr. Christensen, you will never listen to this podcast, but I want you to hear we are rightfully dragging this movie. This isn't your fault, Hayden. It's many people's fault. One, one, <laughs> one man in particular. <laughs> And the people who didn't challenge him. Ugh. Yeah. Why that clip to open old, it? It's the only one people remember. <laughs> like, I loathe this. Literally. like, What time to... is it? All right. We, we need to finish it in a swift hour. Let's go. I don't want to <laughs> do this anymore. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah. Attack of the Clones. It is the second Star Wars prequel film. We talked about uh, The Phantom Menace, its, se- its predecessor, in our 1999 movie episodes. That we did. And... <laughs> This one, uh, this one, people think is wor- like it, it's a it's an argument about which one's worse, this or the Phantom Menace. I personally think the Phantom Menace is worse, considering it doesn't have a main character like we talked about. We did talk about the main character, Jar Jar Binks. Yes, <laughs> just because you don't like the main character doesn't mean the main character wasn't there. It didn't have a useful main character. Yeah. Such is the way. Of the, life. At least this one has two main characters, in a way. Obi Wan and Anakin. Oh, I thought it was... Maybe Padme. There's three, maybe. Oh, no. I thought it was the bounty hunter. No, no, no. Bounty hunter. He's an anti- he's a secondary antagonist. We like that part. We like that movie, though. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> uh, you have a history with Attack of the Clones? Have you seen this movie before? I'm pretty sure uh, my mom and dad went to go see it in theaters and then uh, had me and my me go watch Madagascar with my sisters. But maybe that's not this year because I wasn't sure which... It was a Star Wars movie. It no, was... I think that might have been Revenge of the Sith because I think Madagascar was two thousand five. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, no, they all run together and they're all terrible. Yeah, Madagascar came out two thousand five. So we're talking about you're, you didn't see Revenge of the Sith. Oh no, the no, theater, no, no! I didn't see any of these. I didn't see any of these. I think my dad went to go see and took my mom because, much like me, she supported her husband in his weird endeavors. <laughs> but I. Uh, and um, my my dad went to go see it, and I think he was disappointed in it. And that's when we were made to watch episodes four through six. <laughs> we were like, "Nah, sit down." I was like, "They didn't even make us watch Star Trek like that." But he was offended. <laughs> so, you didn't you didn't see like uh, 
When was you don't remember the first time you saw the sand clip? How he hates sand? Nope. Oh. <laughs> you want me to remember? No, I don't know. Uh, I saw this movie in the theater on opening day. I, I, this might have been the first movie I, I saw opening day. Oh. Yeah. So that's it, a sad prize. Yeah, because okay, so it was end of May. I was still in school. I'm pretty sure I, I this was the last week for me. The last week of school was the last week of May. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for, last week of fourth grade, I'm pretty sure we went to school. My mom picked us up and then we went to the theater. Aww. Yeah. And you'd think like because I've seen clips of it. And I remember even that day, like going on the news and like Star Wars. It's a new Star Wars movie. And there's lo- lines wrapped around the theater. Oh, wow. You know, and I remember those that and I was expecting I was like, are we even going to be able to see this movie? We get there, it was like no line, really, you know. Because <laughs> you live in the middle of the desert. <laughs> we live in the suburbs, I guess. So, yeah, we watch it opening day at like an afternoon showing. And uh, I, I didn't think it was bad as a kid. I, I mean, like, I'll be. Yeah. yeah, I was like, whatever. Yeah, it was fine. Wasn't too long. No. And then it, and it was like a movie we, I went back to the theater and watched multiple times. Oh. Once, f- once with, with my dad. Oh. My dad took me on a weekend to see this movie again. And my dad does not go to the theater, that, yeah. so it was a, it was a noteworthy event. It's like I could think of only three movies where my dad went with me to the theater to go mm. watch a movie. It was this, the Crocodile Hunter movie, all right, uh, which I'm pretty sure is not good, <laughs> and and like Aladdin when I was a baby, oh. or Toy Story or something. Yeah, oh, like yeah. I, like I, no no other movie. We we were supposed to see the Prince of Persia movie in the theater because he wanted to see it, but the line was too long. Oh. We went home. Weren't you gonna go watch that like Ford movie with him or or? Oh, that's right. Okay, we, okay. As a, as an adult, he's seen Django Unchained with me, mm-hmm. and he watched Logan Lucky, which is a, a ah. NASCAR heist movie. <laughs> so he went to the. But as a kid, it was like this and Crocodile Hunter. We see where you get it from. And he fell asleep during Attack of the Clones. <laughs> it's long, and oh, he boring. was asleep by the first car chase. Oh well. <laughs> Yeah, so I just I remember that. I was like, oh, wow, my dad's taking me to the movie theater. Oh, he fell asleep. <laughs> Adorable. We got the big uh, extra large popcorn that you could get refills on. And you ate the whole thing. I'm pretty sure we did. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's, that's my... And then, like, I guess, you know, I, I think by the time Revenge of the Sith came out, like, I had been buying DVDs to watch, mm. you know? So I was like, you know, really into the Star Wars. Like, that's we talked about it with the Phantom Menace. It's like I didn't watch the Phantom Menace when it came out. I caught it after, like it was released on VHS, or whatever. Right. And I was never a big fan. I was just like, eh, it's whatever, you know. Watch it retroactively because it's part of the series. But Star Wars, like I feel like Attack of the Clones was the first movie where I like really got, other than the original trilogy, like the first time when I really got swept up with the current Star Wars product. Hmm. It was like interested in Star Wars. Okay. Because I, I love the old Star Wars. Old Star Wars. Right. And I, like, uh, Phantom Menace did not catch my attention as a kid. I was way more into Luke Skywalker and all that (laughs) stuff. Attack of the Clones came out, and I was a lot more into the characters of the movies that were currently out. Mm -hmm. You know, like, that's when I really started playing the video games. Okay. I mean, you know what? As a kid. Watching cartoons. Oh, yeah. You did, like, the Clone Wars cartoon. That's not bad. You're a mediavore. You inhale. Oh, also, I remember the, the the trailer for this movie came out, and uh, it, it was Attack of the Clones, and we misread it as Attack of the Clowns. <laughs> we got a big old chuckle out of that at the theater. One, that's great. Two, unfortunately, my head just saw the insane clown, clown, clown <laughs> posse with lightsabers, and I hate that. 
There better not be that's art. A, that's a, we need, we need a. Kids, listen to me. No art. We need a fake trailer. Attack of the Clowns <laughs> and have like all the juggalos like no. surround the, the arena. Bad idea. <laughs> the down with the clowns. Just have Pennywise instead. <laughs> As Darth Maul. <laughs> you have your assignment. No. Anyway, let's talk about how this movie was made. All right. Someone was drunk the whole time, right? <laughs> Multiple someones were drunk the whole time. There's some. There's been some revelations recently that kind of explain why this movie is. It was the delayed. year of cocaine, right? No, it, not cocaine. It was bad filmmaking. Oh man. Some might say revolutionary filmmaking. Oh, some know, bold. Okay, bold. <laughs> As we talked about in our 1999 movies episode, film legend George Lucas kicked off the Star Wars prequel trilogy with Episode One: The Phantom Menace. And it's not good. It's not. It's not a good movie. Anyone who goes back and looks at it, like you're blinded by your nostalgia, it's not good. I mean, I agree, but I also have no nostalgia for it. I, I barely have any either. You know, like, like, it's got a slick lightsaber fight, and the pod race scene is good. The rest is garbage. <laughs> garbage. Garbage. The Phantom Menace was, however, a commercial success, becoming the highest-grossing film of 1999. But it meanwhile received a polarized reception from both critics and audiences. Mm. Like it's like a fifty, like a fifty percent of Rotten Tomatoes there, uh. you know. And I, I think like old fans hated it, little kids loved it, or tolerated it. <laughs> Wait, like old Fantasia? No, no, old like old fans of Star Wars. Got it. I've heard Fantasia. Sorry. Old fans hated it. Old fans hated. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. Like if you're like revitalizing a franchise. At all, you're just gonna make people mad. And they, and they did. It was like, yeah, it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Old people didn't like the little kids and Jar Jar and the toyetic nature of it. Yeah. Though hesitant to return to the writing desk for episode two due to the mixed response to episode one, George Lucas nevertheless sat down to write the screenplay for the sequel, finishing the first draft in March 2000, just three months before the start of principal photography. And this, friends, is the first and second mistake made. <laughs> first. That he didn't fully reconsider. Second, that he only decided three months before. He The first draft was finished three months before shooting. Oh. Oh, first drafts are bad. Three months to fix it? Yep. And George Lucas, like, if, if Phantom Menace has shown us anything, he's bad at writing dialogue. And, yeah, like, he's... He, bad at writing? And, like, he's a bad director, too, honestly. Like, you yeah. know, it was a bad decision for him to try to direct again because he's not directing people very well either. Yeah, and nobody told him this. No one told him? No. Lucas did produce two more revised drafts before shooting began, with the third draft being co-written by British playwright and screenwriter Jonathan Hales, who had written several episodes of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles for Lucas, but had limited experience with writing feature films. Eek. Yeah, and when I read that, oh, a playwright helped co-write the screenplay, I'm like, feels like it. Yeah, a lot of like we talked about, when we watched it. A lot of the movie felt like a, a, a community play. Yeah, you know, like kind of standing on a set in front of a like very fake facade. You yeah, know, just kind of talking at each other. You know, the blocking was a lot more stage oriented stage, like, yeah, yes not real like because it's like you can have your back to the camera in a movie because we can do a reverse shot but it was very like quarter turn walking and talking yeah attack of the clones was settled on for the film's title a reference to the clone wars mentioned in the first star wars movie first Star Wars movie uh luke skywalker tells obi-wan you fought in the clone wars and 
that's all that's all it was it's like you fought in the clone wars it's like oh what's the clone wars what does that involve don't know and then there were star wars books written in the interim between mm-hmm. the two trilogies where the clone wars were described as alien mutant clones from another galaxy like invade right the republic and and, and the, the the war was to stop these evil clones <laughs> and then george lucas decided no it's different it's about the republic's clone army that was created in secret and no one follows up on it <laughs> they just yeah 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 we'll 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 let these undocumented clones fight for us oh my gosh question did the clones attack they attacked the battle droids i feel like attack of the clones kind of means like unsolicited fighting but it wasn't that it was oh we have clones let us use the charge as- of the clones right like <laughs> generaling of the clones dispatch like, of the marshalling clones. Dis- dispatch of the clones that's what it should have been called not that you get the clones until freaking it's, it's like three so- hours in all the star wars Titles have a very like old school Buck Rogers, uh, uh, st- like old 40 serial name, you know, like the Empire Strikes Back, you know, mm, yeah. Attack of the Clones. The Phantom Menace. With Attack of the Clones taking place 10 years after the events of Phantom Menace, a key character in the story would be a grown up Anakin Skywalker, now a Padawan learner in the Jedi Order. Relative unknown Canadian actor Hayden Christensen was cast in the role, who co star Natalie Portman said gave a great reading. She said, quote, he could simultaneously be scary and really young. We didn't see that. <laughs> I want to see. Can we find like the the audition? Tapes? Oh, I'm sure it exists out there. I, w- I would like to see that. To see- if it's on YouTube, I'll share it on. Twitter. Absolutely. Share it with me first, though. Yeah. I don't Twitter. It's a disgusting like the, the, place. And this, so he was cast before he was in uh, uh, Life is a House. Right. We, we watched that for our 2001 movies episode. Yeah. And, and- the, the scene where he like breaks down as like a whiny teenager you know like i was like hey there's your anakin audition tape right there right like i was just thinking like portman saying he could be scary and young at the same time i was like that's like sam right just kind of like so much hurt and you see it like out of violence but under it you see the vulnerability that he's striking out in not this movie (laughs) no again mr christensen good job it's not your fault this is not your fault. Many other established actors auditioned for Anakin, including Jonathan Brandis, Devin Sawa, Joshua Jackson, Ryan Philippe, or Felipe, Colin Hanks, Topher Grace, Paul Walker, and Leonardo DiCaprio. Wow. Wow. Young Leo could have been Anakin Skywalker. Well, I didn't like Young Leo, so I wouldn't have liked it <laughs> anymore. But Topher Grace... Wow. <laughs> Paul Walker. Yep. Yikes. Principal photography began in June 2000 and lasted three months. As an in-joke, the film's working title was Jar Jar's Great Adventure. <laughs> Filming primarily took place at Fox Studios Australia and Sydney, with location shooting taking place in Tunisia, Seville, London, China, Vancouver, San Diego, and Italy. Reshoots were performed in March 2001. Uh-huh. I was like, a lot of the movie feels like it was filmed on a set as well. You know, like yeah. the, it's like you could tell what's filmed on location and what isn't very clearly. Yeah. We talked about it. I was like, hey, there, there's there's real sunlight. They're, they're in a real place right there. <laughs> like, why do they have all these steps? They have a robot that rolls with them. 
Producer Rick McCallum would christen Attack of the Clones the first film ever to be produced through, quote, virtual filmmaking. This is like, you know, uh, mistake number four or whatever. (laughs) It was the third film ever to be released that was shot entirely on a 24p digital camera preceded by 2001's jackpot in video Q, (laughs) Vidoc, I don't know relied almost solely on digital animatics as opposed to traditional storyboards, utilized digital doubles as computer-generated models that doubled for actors, and used overwhelmingly large amounts of blue screen during the live-action sequences. So the movie was just shot on a digital stage. The whole time. It was like that's that was its thing, the first movie to really do that. Yeah. And the thing about digital effects is a lot of the time they age really poorly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because technology grows. So the first film to like really utilize digital sets looks like it was shot on data digital sets. <laughs> now, it's life like that. That's the problem. It's like feels so lifeless and mm. and sterile. Very flat. Yeah, like you watch the original Star Wars movies, like even the sets, you know, they feel dirty and grungy and lived in. Mm-hmm. Everything in the Attack of the Clones just feels so just fake. Yeah. I mean, it's not that I disagree because you're very right. It does not look good. It doesn't hold up and stuff like that. But I'm not mad at. I don't. I'm not mad at the decision to do that. They were. Because, tr- that's why I said they were bold. Yeah, you know, and they're. I think even considering the the first Star Wars trilogy was like an innovator in a lot of ways in their practical uses, um, and how they uh, did camera magic in with their their small models with matte paintings with all of these different things so i'm just kind of like yeah and that succeeded wildly this one failed wildly it was great from 2002 to 2007 and, and it was and, like and this is the best kind of stuff that like you you can see and oh my gosh what is this technology but it like made room for stuff like the mandalorian which i i know that like it's still star wars but like i know that's like sometimes you're like oh it's a little bit too much but like the way the uh, it's way better it's way better in the mount though and it's probably going to like last longer but you know right like things are going to continue to yeah it it, it, it ha- someone had to be the first. You someone know? had it, to be the first. Yeah, and it's like again, I like admire George trying it, you know, because he, you could, and people want to blame George for being late, like he's lazy for doing this, but he hated the like film, you know, sh- shoot your movie on film, get it developed, and you could see the final product tomorrow. You know, you mm-hmm. can't get instant feedback like, right. hey, you know, let's see the shot right now. Right. So with digital cameras, it's like you shoot it, you could see it. Yeah. In fact, you could just so George like. Shot the whole movie so he, on a stage where he could just sit in his chair and watch monitors. <laughs> and I think that, like, I think that was very innovative for the industry, right? Like, that's a lot of the ways things are done now. Uh, and you can't, like, I think not having to do even more costly reshoots because you didn't really get what you, you needed or something was blocked out wrong. Like, it's so, like... As terrible as it is, it's so important for the industry. Like, it's so important to be able to, like, all right, let's play that back. Okay, let's try that again. I think the problem is he divorced himself from, like, practical yeah. stuff way too much. It's like, there's too much blue screen. Yeah. You know, like, I think he relied on blue screen too much where he could have had, like, a, a better balance of both. Yeah, agree. You know? yeah. 100%. Use, use the blue screen to enhance, not yeah. to substitute. You're right. I'm with you. There's yeah, like a, yeah, there's, like, a behind-the-scenes clip where I think – Natalie Portman says that every single scene that she performed in had at least some blue screen, mm. except for like one. Yeah. And I think, 
I think it's really interesting for um, like the actors. And yeah, like, it's it's hard like, for them. To, I don't want to do this again. Well, not it's hard for them to act against something they can't see. Yeah. And George is not very good at articulating. Like, yeah. there's there's a classic interview with Samuel L. Jackson where he was asked, "What's the difference between George Lucas and Quentin Tarantino mm-hmm. as an actor being directed by these men?" And he says, "Well, Tarantino will come up to you and say, like, hey, I want you to act like this evil character from this movie from 1975, but a little bit of this movie from 1946.'" And he like just uses references. Mm-hmm. George Lucas is like, okay, you're now staring down a really big monster. Well, how big is it, George? It's really big. <laughs> and I mean, that's so I think that's like one of the things where I'm like, it's so good to be able to see it in the moment. And like the idea of like, I want I don't want to have to wait a whole day to see if I have to reshoot these. And that is a boon. For a better director. Yes. <laughs> like, you know, it was like, oh, conceptually, that makes sense. Yeah. Push digital as far as it can go, but have the right kind of artist there. Have a James Gunn there who's able to, like, articulate and, like, really yeah. get his actors involved. Yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, here's <laughs> here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. In a 2022 interview to promote the Obi-Wan Kenobi show, Ewan McGregor claimed that the digital cameras used in Attack of the Clones were so noisy that the entire cast, quote, had to ADR every single line in episode two. None of the original dialogue made it through because of that, because the cameras were like so new. None of the bugs had been worked out yet. So when you ask yourself, why is the dialogue in Attack of the Clones so weird? It's because it was all recorded separately in a studio. And with that knowledge, having just watched the movie again, I can tell <laughs> there were there were like there were some shots and scenes where I was like, oh, oh, my God, it's true. <laughs> like what? There's like a scene where it's like particularly I remember seeing it in the scene where Anakin is complaining about Obi-Wan and, and uh, Padme is folding her clothes and packing, you know, and there are scenes where like it just doesn't match. It's not right. It's yeah. Uncanny. <gasps> And that, I feel like that's like people watch this movie and they feel something's wrong. Like there's something wrong with them. There's something wrong, fundamentally wrong with this movie. Right. And I think it's that uncanny. Mm. They're trying to match their dialogue to what was filmed on set. Yeah. And get the quote intonation. And, and sometimes they did all they did pretty well, you know, mm-hmm. like for decades, like we knew something was wrong, but we couldn't put our finger on it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, that was it. And that's why everyone like we talked about it like. Ewan McGregor in some scenes, like, he just sounds bored. Oh, yeah. You know? I'm like, why does he sound so bored? And it's probably because he's filming in a studio trying to match his his dialogue from on set. Right. And then being, like, told again. Oh, that didn't quite match up again. Ugh. Sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. I'm thinking about some of the times that Ellie Porton would be like, no, Annie. And I was like, mm. <laughs> Little it, Annie. I was like, why are you saying it like that? I don't know. All right. That there, was there's definitely... like old interviews that Hayden Christensen had done where he was defending himself. He's like, we we did better takes and George used the worst ones, uh, you know? And I'm like, was he talking about like the onset takes or the ADR takes, you know? Probably both. Something tells me like even they like he recorded multiple takes of a line in the studio when he was doing ADR. Yeah. And they just cut up word for word or sentence by sentence, you know, Ugh. to match the lip movements, you know, like that was maybe priority one oh, over no. what was the best take. 
That sucks. Yeah. You know what I would like to see, but nobody would actually do? Just getting some of the cast members from there to just do almost like a table read of it. Like, I just want to hear, like, what emotions would you put in it? I, like, yeah. would that... The script is still bunk, but what? How? How would that enhance it even a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I would like to see Sam as Anakin. You know? Yeah. Well, he's old now. But. No, but I mean, like the amount, like the acting. Yeah, it, it would be interesting. But yeah, it was like if you want to know why the Attack of the Clones is weird. It's everything. That I think that's it. Well, on top of all the bad writing and directing and all that stuff, yeah, because it's like it, it, it's it's rotten to the core. <laughs> it's multiple reasons of wrong. Yeah, as with all prior Star Wars films, Attack of the Clones score was composed and conducted by John Williams and performed by the London Voices and London Symphony Orchestra. He did he's he did he's always the best part <laughs> of all these movies. Trailers for Attack of the Clones preceded the theatrical releases of Monsters Inc., which is probably where we had the Attack of the Clowns incident. Uh... Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Oh, that was that. And Ice Age. Ooh. All all three of those movies I saw in the theater. Watched all three of those. So I probably saw Attack of the Clones trailer multiple times. You're like, okay, okay, I'll see it. As with its predecessor, fans paid full admission to theaters to see the trailer and then leave. (laughs) Really? Yeah, just like with Phantom Menace, yeah. That's so weird. I guess the internet wasn't a Star thing. Star Wars fans. Star Wars. The internet wasn't a thing. so It was, but yeah, it wasn't widespread. Yeah. I definitely didn't have the internet be, yet. Uh, yeah, it would just be like, right now, I was like, oh, let me go see that on YouTube. Wow, that was a sick trailer. No, there was no trailer. Like, no yeah. YouTube. Yeah, so if you wanted to watch this trailer, you had to download the MP4. You know, right? yeah. or not even MP4, like the QuickTime video. <laughs> so that is the history of Attack of the Clones. Now we get to talk about this dumb movie. We don't have to. All right, so we should talk about the plot, you know, give give everyone an idea of what the film does, you know, mm. before we're getting really granular with it. But I feel like as we describe the plot, we can also describe the, you know, the, the problems with the movie in general, mm-hmm. not specific, but just in general. Right. Other than the things we've already talked about. <laughs> but uh, uh, let me, as with every Star Wars film, it opens with a, a crawl to get people up to speed on where the plot is. So right. I've got the crawl written here. Go ahead. If you'd like me to read it out to you. I'll ignore it. <laughs> Are you going to play the music? Oh. Yes. <laughs> Star Wars Holiday Special. No. <laughs> there is unrest in the Galactic Senate. Several thousand solar systems have declared their intentions to leave the Republic. This separatist movement, under the leadership of the mysterious Count Dooku, has made it difficult for the limited number of Jedi Knights to maintain peace and order in the galaxy. Senator Amidala, the former Queen of Naboo, is returning to the Galactic Senate to vote on a critical issue of creating an Army of the Republic. All caps to assist the overwhelmed Jedi, and that's that's that. <laughs> so it's a it's a assassination mystery plot. That's kind of where the movie starts. Who's the assassin protagonist? There's no assassin protagonist. <laughs> queen Amidala, or, or former queen Senator mm-hmm. Padme Amidala. Yes. Apparently, the queen is a is a in an elected elect- position. We found that out in the first yeah. movie. So she uh. She's she's returning to the uh, Republic city of Coruscant to um, 
to vote on some legislation about an army, and she's the target of an assassination plot. Right. Kids movie stuff. Yeah, yeah. I was like, <laughs> well, I was like I, th- this crawl is gobbledygook, you know, even as a little kid. I, I did not understand, like, the basic political angle. I was like, I, I don't understand voting on legislation. Yeah. I, I don't understand what Count Dooku's thing is. I can't even read all this. I don't words. know what a separatist is. <laughs> but basically, yeah, there's a group of systems out there, you know, like it's it's like countries that are under the the empire, you mm-hmm. know, the republic back then, you know. It's like they don't want to be part of the republic no more. <laughs> and they want to separate. They want to secede. Right. And that that's their thing and they're the bad guys. Because they want freedom. We don't know what they want. <laughs> I'll talk about that in a second. Anyway, let's uh let's hear from Padme here. Let's, Padme and uh, some other voices you may recognize. Do you have any idea who is behind this attack? Our intelligence points to disgruntled spice miners on the moons of Naboo. I think the Count Dooku is behind it. He is a political idealist, not a murderer. You know, my lady, Count Dooku was once a Jedi. He couldn't assassinate anyone. It's not in his character. Mm. But for a certain senator, in grave danger, you are. That's that's the the catalyst. <laughs> Yoda saying she's in grave danger. <laughs> yep. Uh, okay, so we're gonna have a lot to say about the problems with the the storytelling of yeah. this. It's 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 really it's really bad. <laughs> it's certainly not good. <laughs> and I'm going to repeat some things that have been said before by other online critics. You know, like there's no new ideas under the sun. Uh, and a lot of what I have to say is just I will just kind of inherently repeat things said by a certain film critic by the name of Mr. Plinkett. <sighs> this is true. He will do that. Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones is the worst thing ever made by a human. Except for the bagpipes. <laughs> Mr. Plinkett is a it's a production by uh, Red Letter Media. Uh, Mike of Red Letter Media decided to write a film crit- critique of Attack of the Clones, but in character. <laughs> so that 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 voice is the voice of Mr. Plinkett, who's an old, a dirty old man. Uh, a, he's a murderer. Oh gosh, a womanizer. He kidnaps women. <laughs> but what? Like that's the character. Like he's 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 writing a review of Star Wars, but it's sprinkled in with like weird stuff about his personal life, where he's like this horrible person. Fictional stuff. Yeah, it's all fictional. It's just it's there to add some like entertainment value to a very dry review of Star mm. Wars. <laughs> but okay. but he has a lot of really good criticisms about Attack of the Clones, mm. and so I, if we end up repeating, I will you know talk. It's it's gonna happen. Yeah, you'll uh, you'll uh, you'll see in the annotations. Yeah, his resources. So yeah, I'm like the the first thing is like they introduce. Padme, like the first thing that happens is Padme lands on the planet and there's a bomb that goes off, you know, she, she escapes, like she's not present, but her decoy gets killed. Yeah. You know, so she's, she's okay. But yeah, they're, they're, they're out there getting, trying to get her. Poor Kira. And that's her talking to the, uh, Jedi council, right? She's talking to Yoda and Mace Windu of the Jedi council, Mm -hmm. who are like two of the high ranking Jedi. Right. Basically, uh, space wizards, (laughs) space knights. And, uh, Chancellor Palpatine, who's basically the space president. Right. And yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's just like the brain trust. It's like, what are we going to do about these assa- like assassination attempts? I don't want to die. What's happening? Did she even say that? 
And she, they're like, who's behind it? Oh, it's, I think Count Dooku is behind it. Right. Somebody just name dropped. And so Count Dooku apparently is someone we should be leery of, but we don't, we learn so little about Count Dooku and his motivations in this movie. Yeah. I don't, like, I still don't quite understand what his motivations are. Yeah, he's just kind of like a scapegoat or something. It, it just really feels like, because we know, right? Like, we know, we know who the bad guy is. And it's just kind of like, oh, this person, like a red herring. And it, you don't get anything. But he, he works, he's working with the bad guy. So like, in the end, you know that Count Dooku is a bad guy. But we don't know why. I don't know. I don't think he, for me, it was like, I don't know that he's a bad guy. I think that there are three sides happening. He's but been, we're on one side, so everybody else is considered bad because they're against the... Count Dooku is like trying to play both sides or something. I don't know. It, yeah. it, the movie does not explain it, and no movie is explained. Maybe some book does somewhere. But I don't want to read no book. I'm watching a movie. <laughs> and then Plinkett had a... You know, I think Plinkett like summarizes it pretty well here. You see, the audience needs to know who we care about. And we also need to know who our enemies are, and more importantly, why. If you don't tell us why there are enemies and we don't know why, then we don't care. And that's the problem with Tech of the Clothes. I don't yeah. know why or who the enemies are, and I don't care. Like, the the main thrust of the first two-thirds of this movie, it's kind of like a mystery, you mm -hmm. know, and, and romance. <laughs> mystery and romance. <laughs> but, like, mostly it's a mystery. And you're like, okay, you can be compelled by a mystery, and you unravel the mystery. But by the end of the movie... There is a bad guy that doesn't act like a bad guy. And tell, in, in, in fact, he tells the truth most of the time. Yeah. Like, I, okay, I'm going to play a clip of Count Dooku. Like, Count Dooku meeting our main character for the first time. Okay. The first, this is his first scene in the movie. And it's like two hours in. Oh, yeah. And and it's like, you know, think about the other Star Wars movies. By, you know, we meet Darth Vader in the first Star Wars movie. In immediately first, yeah like first five minutes yeah and so we know he's the bad guy we kind of know what he's about mm -hmm. uh same with even the phantom menace it's like we knew there was the bad guy like the <laughs> the trade federation goons right were bad and then the uh darth Sidious, who's like this evil mysterious cloaked figure right, we, right at least right, we, right. we saw them early yeah count duke we meet so late in the movie and he, this scene he's telling the truth what if I told you that the Republic was now under the control of the Dark Lord of the Sith? No, that's not possible. The Jedi would be aware of it. The dark side of the Force has clouded their vision, my friend. Hundreds of senators are now under the influence of a Sith Lord called Darth Sidious. I don't believe you. The Viceroy of the Trade Federation was once in league with this Darth Sidious. But he was betrayed ten years ago by the Dark Lord. He came to me for help. He told me everything. You must join me, Obi-Wan. And together, we will destroy the Sith. He ain't lying. Yeah. Everything he said is actually true. The only thing he's withholding is, I'm also working with that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, in the hands of a better writer, this would have been a good move, right? Like the kind of thing where it's just kind of like no i don't believe you because you're evil like it's like a power move <laughs> it's a power move but then it's also like one of those things where it's just kind of like it you know like i'm not trying to sold dissent i'm trying to like if you don't believe me better you're gonna be looking at a different 
uh, direction. So I think that that's what's really interesting. Like, I mean, but like in the hands of a better writer could be actually delivered well. But it also makes me think of like the the myth of Cassandra. Don't know what that is. <laughs> it's a Greek myth. She is um, a, sorry, really quickly. She's a seer um, and a god really wanted to get with her because she was beautiful. And she was like, no, you disgusting thing. And he was like, fine. Nobody will ever believe your predictions. And they were all true, like famine, earthquakes, everything. They're like, eh, whatever. So it makes me, again, so right, in the hands of a better writer, that could be interesting. But we also, you're right, we don't meet him until, it's like movie's going to end in 30 minutes. And I'm still befuddled. Like, that whole scene is so odd. I'm like, he is, he's like, if, if he's playing 40 chess or something, like, I'm like, sure, <laughs> I guess. You know, I, I'm not very satisfied by that explanation. But, like, he is telling Obi-Wan Kenobi, the truth about what the situation is. Uh, just, but in fact, he's also working with the bad guy that he's talking about. He's like outing. Yeah. He's trying to play both sides. He's like, all right, I'm going to get my way either way. So but that, that there's no aim. There's no motivation to do so because he is killed immediately in the next movie. Like he is, he is just thrown away. <laughs> this entire, like this scene serves no purpose uh, in any of the story. Yeah. This whole movie serves no purpose. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I agree. So we like hear about him at the f- beginning. He's like our focus for no reason. And then we don't really get anything. No payoff. Him. Yeah. We got a, f- a fight scene with elderly <laughs> Christopher Lee. I love Christopher Lee. Like, he's he's, yeah. a gr- he's a great guy. I love him. But he's this old man. And it's like, yeah, we get to, we get to watch an old man have a lightsaber fight, you know. With a Muppet. <laughs> with a Muppet. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Um, okay, so we heard we heard Obi-Wan in that clip. But let's let's introduce like they're kind of our two main characters. Obi-Wan Kenobi and his Padawan learner, Anakin Skywalker. Right. You seem a little on edge. Not at all. I haven't felt you this tense since since we fell into that nest of gumdocks. <laughs> you fell into that nightmare, Master, and I rescued you, remember? Oh yes. You're sweating. Relax. Take a deep breath. I haven't seen her in ten years, Master. They're they're going up to go meet Padme. Anakin's a little, he's a little nervous. So, having had that tidbit of all of its ADR, hearing that, like, there's, I was like, there's a place you could have injected more life into it if it wasn't possibly cut up or you were so like where he sounds bored where he's like master you're the one who fell in there I felt and he goes oh yes yes (laughs) and I was like I could very easily be like oh yes like that's a completely different tone and it it breeds like this kind of comfortability between these two people or even if Anakin's still being stiff because you know he turns evil it gets across the point that like Obi Kenobi, Obi Kenobi, Obi Wan, Obi Wan Kenobi, who <laughs> wants to have like a close knit relationship with his uh, his learner in the same way that he did with his his, his master before he died. Um, that's not here because the reading is so flat. Anyway, I just wanted to point that out. It, it is weird, and then also this is brought up in the Plinket reviews as well. But um, this movie relies a lot of relies a lot on telling not showing right we are told that obi-wan and anakin have a relationship and they're friends 
we're told that through this scene. It's like, you know, they are describing adventures we don't see. Right. And it's not really even compelling like a like a Tarantino script where someone's telling a really compelling story, you know? It's About it's a, a burrito royale. Which it's it's just a you know, it, it's it's describing the dynamic between Obi-Wan and Anakin without actually showing it to us. Mm-hmm. You know, like, okay, I guess, you know, they're friends and they've had adventures. Uh, and Anakin's a little arrogant. <laughs> uh, and, and nervous to meet a pretty girl yeah. again. I'm like, I, I guess I'm just being told that, you know. Yeah. I just have to accept it because that's what I was told. Right. I don't get to see it really, you know. I don't see the friendship in their relationship no. at all. Like, they're not friends. They, Everything that's shown to me in the movie is very antagonistic, you know. I have some clips later on where, like, Anakin constantly just talks back to Obi-Wan when he's trying to tell him something. Yeah. And they argue a lot. Uh, and there's no friendship. Whereas in like the original Star Wars movie, Obi Wan like thinks fondly back on Anakin. It's like he was a good friend. <laughs> it's like where I do not see it. Yeah, I think it's there was a lot of room for this to do more. I think like even if Anakin continued to read this flat way, because at the end of the last movie. Obi-Wan was like, yeah, I'm going to train this dude up because it's what my master would have wanted. And Yoda's like, that's a that's a bad idea, sport. Let's not do that. And he's like, no, nah, I'm going to do it. So it would have been nice to see him trying to connect and connect and just kind of like hit this wall because Anakin is quote unquote destined for bad things. I would have liked to see like the adventure where they fall into that nest of Gundarks. You know? <laughs> like it would have been pleasant, you know? Yeah. Instead of like longer movie, just li- little baby Anakin. That whole first movie could have been cut and just had this adventure. You know, that's uh, fair. You know, we didn't need to see this. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Uh, and, and the way Plinkett describes it, it's like this movie. Ex- as an audience, we are expected to, but we are ex- we are expected to accept what we are and are not told. Right. Right. Here we have to just accept that Anakin and Obi Wan are friends because that's what we're told to. Right. And then other times in the movie, we are told to accept things that we're not told. You know, it's just like, well, you know, it's, it's I have an example. Here we go. So then they crash land and she runs inside of like a nightclub and Obi-Wan says, You went in there to hide, not to run. Um, how do you know that? Hey, I asked you a question. How do you know you ran in there to hide? Did you read the script too? <laughs> hey, what's that? What's that on the ground over there? Is that the script? That's a a running gag in the video. And it's like, there's a lot of moments like that where the characters know something that the audience doesn't. We just have to accept it because that's where they're told. (laughs) We're told. It's like, he ran in there to hide because the script said so. It's it's like, no, no, there's no indication in the movie itself that Obi-Wan should know that other than maybe he's a wizard. (laughs) He's a Jedi with the force. He is. But that's not satisfying. It's like, there's no intuition there. It's like, he went into the return of the rock. It's a hide. Not to run. How do you know? How do you know there's not an ambush in there? You know? Yeah. Or something. Yeah. And there's so many moments in the movie like that where, oh, it's this way because the script needs it to be this way. Like there's no intuiting. Mm. It's just like, that's the way it is. And we just have to roll with it as an audience. The difference between like plot driven stories and character driven stories. It's like the plot needs us to go to the next planet. So yeah, we just have to go there, you know? Yeah. No logic. Though anybody who actually writes plot-based, plot-driven stories, that is not saying they all come out as terrible drivel. No, no, this but, is bad. Yeah, this is this is bad. 
where it's just like, oh, well, we're just going to go here next. So we're just going to put our characters there. Well, why are they there? Because that's the next scene. That's what the script says. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And uh, I have a clip to just introduce kind of where the, like, so we've introduced, honestly, that's the main characters. It's like Padme, Obi-Wan, and Anakin. And their plots diverge. Yeah. uh, Because the the party splits. And, and it's like kind of two movies, like you you hinted at earlier. It's like there's Obi-Wan's plot mm-hmm. and Anakin and Padme's plot. Right. And this is how things go down. Track down this bounty hunter. You must, Obi-Wan. Most importantly, find out who he's working for. What about Senator Amidala? She will still need protecting. Handle that. Your Padawan will. Anakin. Escort the senator back to her home planet of Naboo. She'll be safer there. And don't use registered transport. Travel as refugees. Those are our two plots. Obi-Wan is going to investigate the assassination stuff. He's going to find out who this assassin is. And Anakin is going to be uh, Padme's bodyguard. And he's going to escort her back to her home planet of Naboo. That feels like the safest concurrence of things. (laughs) It's not a very wise decision to no. send the No, it's not. <laughs> the flustered uh impulsive young man, attractive young man, like to, with the attractive young woman. For real, why didn't send the Obi-Wan <laughs> step up and be like, "Uh, either we switch or I take my learner to go and do this stuff so he can yeah, learn and, and you one of y'all take Amidala." Lincoln says like, "Why don't you send the Squid Man <laughs> with Padme?" Right? That's fine. Well, because plot. Because the plot says so. You you nailed because, it. Because uh, Amidala can't make out with a squid man. <laughs> so what I want to do now is kind of examine both subplots. Okay. And uh, we'll we'll save Anakin's for later. <laughs> I th- I'm sure we have more a lot to say on that one. A lot of criticism, <laughs> complaining. Ugh. But Obi Wan's I don't hate. Mm-hmm. It is there's a like. The the problems with the movie that we've discussed thus far bleed into Obi Wan subplot. However, I do like, and I've always liked, even as a, from a you know from childhood, I I like the 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 premise or the 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 basic f- scenario that Obi Wan's put in because right. he is trying to track down a bounty hunter. That's his goal, or the, an assassin, right? He's trying to figure it out, and his subplot kind of unfolds like a gumshoe detective movie you know like one of those hard-boiled like neo-noir and noir film yeah so it feels like that where he's like a he's like a hard-boiled detective on the beat trying to figure out where this assassin came from and he's got clues and he visits like bars to like talk to an expert on on things you know Mm -hmm. and get get you know he's just trying to build a case right right he's on the he's on the he's on the heels of this assassin he's trying to (laughs) track him down and that's interesting. I I would have liked that to be the whole movie. Yeah, if yeah. Obi-Wan had just been a hardball detective on the beat, it would have been a pretty interesting movie. Yeah. And and that Obi-Wan show that was on Disney Plus, mm-hmm. I wish that was the show. <laughs> it's kind of what the show is a little bit, but it becomes more of like a Mandalorian uh, lone wolf and cub st- story uh, where he's protecting a little child. <laughs> adorable. I wish I wish he had just been a detective. I like Detective Obi-Wan. <laughs> you want me to find a book series called Detective Obi-Wan? You want me to write one for you? That needs to be a thing. We need a movie called Detective Obi-Wan. <laughs> no, you said a book. You want to read a book. So Obi-Wan, he does. Okay. And there are like corny 
cringy scenes in the subplot. There are. Almost all of them. Yeah. But the basic scenario I enjoy. Not the specifics. Right, right, Just right. the basics. So, the first, would you remember what the first place Obi-Wan goes to uh, to, to investigate? Right? He goes to a diner. It's mm-hmm. called Dex's Diner. Obi-Wan! Hello, Dex. Take a seat, I'll be right with you. You want a cup of Joe with juice? Oh, yes, thank you. Yeah, Star Wars, they have Cup of Joe, you know what? In Star Wars, there's 50s diners for some reason. <laughs> you had a problem with that. It's silly. Mm-hmm. It, it, so, we talked about this when we watched the movie, but... The fact, and this is not a new idea, but the fact that Star Wars has a a very authentic 50s diner, like American 50s, mm-hmm. like, it is a little silly. And it kind of, it, it feels like that shouldn't be there, <laughs> you know? Like, there shouldn't be a, I don't know, like, the particular type of diner that is the 50s diner shouldn't be in Star Wars. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't gel with the, the the universe of the of the, the world, you know? Right, right, right. Star Wars. What kind of eatery uh, would you... And we, t- I, I said it would have made more sense if it was less specific to a decade. Like, the 50s, like, the, the style, the music, the mm-hmm. the talk, you know. You want a cup of joe with you, you know? That is too earthly, you know? Right. It's too much like our world, mm-hmm. where when you look back to the original Star Wars, they had a cantina, mm-hmm. right? And it was very Old West saloon, right? Yeah. That... I feel like there was an old timiness, you know, a timelessness to it where it's like an old West saloon is kind of alien to us now because we don't really have those anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and they kind of, you know, tweaked it to be more Star Warsy, right? right. Where it's, you know, it's like a sandy planet, you know, and there's aliens and monsters at the bar and they have like weird tubes and things. Mm-hmm. So it had a timelessness, an arc, you know, an archetypal look that is both old but also otherworldly. Mm-hmm. The 50s diner has none of that. It's, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's too much like our time. Got it. So you would have felt less, like it was less out of place if there were like weird tubes and stuff in there. I just think if it looked, if, if he had gone with a different look, a different time period, like a bar mm-hmm. or I, I had said it would have been all he had to do was set it in a 1940s art deco style bar like mm-hmm. a smoky cocktail bar right. you know like something from the old noir movies that i feel like has an otherworldly old timiness that's because we still have 50s diner yeah. george lucas owns one <laughs> you know i mean so here's the thing i don't disagree with you but i disagree with you so you're right right i think that there is the added thing like it needs to be more of a melded thing like weird tubes make sense to me in that like if you go to a 50s diner today uh there's a soda machine it's not just like a soda hop or whatever like there are soda machines there are like electric uh grills in the back there are things that were not in the 50s it's like the the velour velour the facade the facade the facade the facade the facade is very that but like there's obviously updates and stuff or like you'll have tablets on the table you can make your own order so that and they kind of do that right so i like think i don't in that sense mind it because i think i would have found it more interesting right if it was like a traditional tattooing eatery on this other planet because it'd be like oh yeah we love 
it sounds racist. Oh, we love their culture and da da. You know, like, because then it's like a little bit more alien and it's like regular to them. That would have been too much thinking for George Lucas. What I think <laughs> that it should have been rather than an art deco one, something that I would think would be really way more interesting and fit a lot more with what was happening is like a, tra a closer to a traditional like outside Japanese restaurant where there are things on the floor and stuff like that where you're they, like they, sitting. Yeah, they, they did rip off a, a Blade Runner a lot already. So just yeah. go full Blade Runner. Yeah, like I was like, if you're already doing all these things, I was like, that would make more sense in the like, it's a little more timeless, but it also fits An into otherworldly. this. It, yeah, it fits into this like worldscape that you're making a lot better than the 50s yeah. bar. But I don't mind like the the point of the bar right this like it's nostalgic for a different culture for a different species for a bubble like because you can right like you yeah. just can't right like yeah. i get it but I'm, I'm like sitting here i'm like talking about oh, I, I i love the you know obi-wan detective story i wish there was more of that uh he should have been able to go to like a different type of bar that was less overtly 50s american you know mm -hmm. uh you're just i'm like just blah, just watch blade runner <laughs> just watch Blade Runner. Just watch Blade Runner. That's the and movie then you I have want. To deal with weird. Romance. That's the movie I want. I watch. I I just want to watch Blade Runner. So yeah, it's like. Are you gonna rewatch it this week? <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Yeah, it's like. Do you recommend Attack of the Clones? No. Watch Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're gonna say at the end. Remember this clip, kids. So anyway, um, fifties diner side. There, there is stuff here where it's like, yeah, I like this stuff. Where Obi Wan's asking his buddy Dex some about some his expertise. You know, right. Uh, Obi-Wan is able to recover a dart, like a poison dart that he got from the assassin because the assassin killed another assassin that he hired to assassinate. <laughs> That's what assassins do. Right. That's what seasoned assassins do is they hire other assassins to do their dirty work. Just think of the opening of The Dark Knight. Is that the one with Keith Ledger? Yeah. Just think of the opening of The Dark Knight. <laughs> so, my friend, what can I do for you? You can tell me what this is. Wow. What do you know? I ain't seen one of these since I was prospecting on Subterrell, beyond the Outer Rim. Can you tell me where it came from? Thank you. This baby belongs to them cloners. What you got here is a Camino Saber Dart. I wonder why it didn't show up in the analysis archives. You see funny little cuts on the side to give it away. Those analysis droids only focus on symbols. I should think that you Jedi would have more respect for the difference between knowledge and <laughs> wisdom. I don't know, man. I kind of like this exchange, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't like the setting, but I just, I like this, you know. Yeah. It's like, it, it, this is showing, not telling. It's like, Obi-Wan has, like, you know, it, it kind of reveals, like, and, that, and not just, the, I'm not told, oh, Obi-Wan has old friends that, you know, know, you know, have expertise, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm actually, like, it's just kind of revealed to us by their dynamic. It's like, it. It implies like a rich history for Obi-Wan where like he's been on countless adventures that I can just kind of like imagine right. you know, where I'm not like told about a particular adventure where he met Dex and they had, you know, yeah. they didn't recount something that happened in the past. They just kind of have a dynamic mm -hmm. that I can just kind of infer from. Right. The voice actors of the aliens are better. They have more information. And also they're not trying to match their lip, you know, yeah. I feel like the animators can animate around the yeah. performance as opposed to the performance having to match the lips of the of the, the acting on stage 
Yeah, you're true. <laughs> but uh, I agree, right? Like this has because I was gonna say like there's way more life in this side of the story. Yeah, uh, and I think you do tend to like mysteries and stuff like that. But I think one of the reasons, one of the biggest reasons that you like this um, plot line best is because he's doing a lot of interacting with no other actual humans, and so his counterparts, his invisible counterparts, are able to give away more steady performance and so it makes everything in this halfway more lively oh and i would say you know ewan mcgregor for all the adversity he had to you know encounter during making this movie like he's doing a pretty good job yeah he's acting against nothing yeah you know and i'm like he's fine he's doing all, he's doing the best he can yeah you know, he's, he's doing way better than some other actors in this movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> he has years under him camino i'm not familiar with it is it in the republic no no it's beyond the outer rim I'd say about uh, 12 parsecs outside the Rishi Maze. Should be easy to find, even for those droids in your archives. <laughs> These are Kaminoans. Keep to themselves. They're cloners. Damn good ones, too. Cloners? Are they friendly? Oh, it depends. Depends on what, Dex? On how good your manners are. How big your pocketbook is he's unraveling that mystery i was like that's compelling to me yeah I was like oh who are these cloners you know it's like <laughs> it's like leaving just enough intrigue where i'm like all right you know this is there's something here yeah i'm i'm, I'm interested yeah you know? and then um obi-wan he's told about camino and i think maybe what george was trying to do is like there's a theme of like the 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 jedi have gotten too complacent and they're mm -hmm. like they they rely too much on the technology as opposed to their own wisdom, you know. Because mm -hmm. I mean, they they talked about it with that dart. It's like, oh, the the archives don't tell me where this dart came from. And, and Dex is like, well, you got to look at the the burn marks. You got to look it. something beyond the symbols. Yeah. You know, you got to you know, you got to be wise, not just knowledgeable. Yeah. And the same thing happens when Obi Wan goes to the archives to try and find a map to Camino. Camino is not in the map. <laughs> and so he goes to. Master Yoda, who is ha uh, having a, a kindergarten class, is <laughs> <laughs> training kindergartners, younglings. Younglings. And he says, hey, I, I can't find this planet in the map. It ought to be here, but it isn't. Gravity is pulling all the stars in the area towards this spot. Hmm. Gravity's silhouette remains, but the star and all the planets disappeared they have how can this be hmm? a thought anyone master because someone erased it from the archive memory <laughs> truly wonderful the mind of a child is <laughs> that twerp knows what's up he said because somebody erased it Duh. So, so I'm like, people do not like this scene. Yeah. Like they don't like them kids. Mm -hmm. and, and like that little kid, they want to try another take, buddy? No. Matthew? <laughs> he had to record it in a sound studio. Yeah. I feel like those kids are probably like deathly scared of the fact that they have to act against nothing. You yeah. Know? Like Yoda's not even real anymore. Yeah. Yeah, so that makes sense, right? Like, and then on top of that, he did it. And he was so scared, and then he has to go into a sound studio and just like speaking to the mic. Who even knows if, if that's the same kid? 
That's true. Wow. What if they got a different kid to dub over that voice? That's true. Oh my gosh. That means they don't have to pay that kid as much. There's a lot of implications in this this ADR uh, factoid here. It's scary. <laughs> yeah. I was uh, like, that poor kid might have been maligned for decades. Yeah. It's not even his fault. <laughs> he could have been the best actor in the world. It's just George Lucas with his voice pitched out. <laughs> well, no. it's already at the same George? pitch. <laughs> he sounds like Muppet the Frog. <laughs> Muppet the Frog. <laughs> I like... <laughs> That's what you said. It's my favorite. My favorite Muppet. The my frog. favorite Kermit Muppet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I don't mind this. I think I was saying it when we were watching it. I can't remember what I said, but I was like, there's nothing wrong with this scene. People just don't like kids. That's it. And they suck for that. And I mean, so I'm. Plinkett had an interesting idea, and he had said that the thing that is off putting for him is like the, the little kids. One, they're like five years old you mm -hmm. know and and they're like playing with light like they're training with lightsabers right mm -hmm. and they're like dodging uh, uh shots with their lightsabers and that's the lesson for the day you know right he's suggested maybe aging the kids up a little bit make them preteens or something right and they instead of training with lightsabers they're training in meditation mm. and the point of the scene would be more uh uh clear because the kids are being trained to meditate and to like see beyond you know the right. the, the the, the tangible world, right? So when a little kid suggests that, hey, maybe the fact you know you need to look beyond the the map, not only like it, it, the the planet may not be in the map, but it, maybe it's because it's you know it's been removed from the system, you know, yeah. the, uh, the the map archive, you know, right. but it's still there. You know, it's such a simple truth that a little kid who's training a meditation will come to. Yeah, that would have been better. That would have been a good fix. And so. <sighs> I think you saying like, oh, little kids, five-year-olds with lightsabers. I think, yeah, okay, in canon, maybe five-year-olds shouldn't have yes. swords that can cut and carterize And also, yeah, be that close to each other. Yeah, that's while blindfolded. Mm, it's okay. Okay. For the people complaining just because there's kids in it, shut up. But for those reasons, I'm like, yeah, you're, you're right. It's, if, it's, if a, it's I was, a little absurd. If I was in the movie, that would have 100% took me out. But I wasn't in the movie. <laughs> so I was like, okay, whatever. They're just kids doing a thing. It's really not that big of a deal. They're on the screen for three minutes. But the meditation would have made far more sense. And the implication that you really do need to weed out the people that like may have power but have bully tendencies before giving them training in um, a deadly weapon would have been great world building. <laughs> Either way, again, I enjoy the the idea that Obi Wan is looking for clues. He's right. he's seeking advice. He's you know he's he's it's freaking Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> the more it's you like, talk about yeah, it, I was like, who's the replicant here? You know. <laughs> anyway, the the next step on Obi Wan's journey is he he visits Camino. He goes where Camino should be on the map, and sure Voila, enough, that's that's where there. it is. And this scene rocks i i think this is an incredibly moody uh well made sequence where mm -hmm. obi-wan is just quietly walking on camino talking to their like uh chancellor whoever their president i don't know like their chairman they're kind of like the, they're like whoever's this, in charge <laughs> they're like this weird like uh uh bureauc i don't know it's like a sterile like business room type environment right where mm -hmm. they, they have a clone factory that they build people but the 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 Camino residents themselves are just these very tall, slender, like fish people. Fish? People. I don't know what they are. 
I also don't know, but I didn't see gills. They're just long gray things. The smooth, smooth gray things. Long, tall, smooth, smooth gray smooth things. Smooth skins. <laughs> Gross. And they, you know, they just very casually describe the like business of making clones, you know, and I, it's it's unsettling because Obi-Wan doesn't know if they're bad guys. He doesn't know if mm -hmm. he's walked into a trap. You know, he's just like trying to play off like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm your business partner, you know, and like they, they, when he shows up, they, they expect him already. Mm -hmm. You know, like, oh, Obi-Wan or, or Master Jedi, come your, your, your order for clones has been completed. Yeah. And he's like, I'm expected. <laughs> and it's really weird and off-putting and kind of tense. I yeah. like it. I, I think this scene is actually pulled off pretty well. Right. And now to business. You will be delighted to hear that we are on schedule. 200,000 units are ready with a million more well on the way. That's good news. Please tell your master, Cypher Diaz, that his order will be met on time. I'm sorry, it's Master... Jedi Master Cypher Diaz is still a leading member of the Jedi Council, is he not? Master Cypher Diaz was killed almost ten years ago. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. But I'm sure he would have been proud of the army we've built for him. Listening to it, it would have been more effective if they had just said Qui-Gon Jinn. <laughs> Like the audience knows who Qui Gon Jinn is, mm -hmm. so the shock would have we would have been able to share the shock yeah. with Obi Wan. Like, yeah. what? I mean, Qui Gon Jinn was killed ten years ago. <laughs> you know, like yeah. the audience would have been like, "What?" You know, and like the confusion and the disorientation would have been more effective. There. Yeah, just saying. I agree. I've got questions. One, so did what's the timeline on this? Like, he was killed ten years ago, but was his name being used before that? So this has been done for how many? That's the mystery. Okay. Two, how are these folks getting paid? They're like, tell your master. We'll have them for it. Are you doing this for money? Yeah, I think they are. Are you waiting? You have to present the product and then you get money? <laughs> That's a problem with these prequel trilogies is no one follows up on this. Next they... question. Sorry. No, you're asking the good qu You're asking good questions. Next question. Is this trafficking? Is this? Is this ethical? No. Is this? trafficking it's definitely not ethical mm, they are making babies to be to sell disposable people they're making disposable people is this trafficking it probably yeah does yoda use traffic people in yes. his war yes cool, yeah, cool there's cool. questionable morals all around mm. <laughs> but legitimately like this subplot is weird. Like I said, the, the scene is pulled off pretty well because it's very disorienting and honestly just kind of weird and creepy. Mm -hmm. uh, and like, there's like creepy music that John Williams composed and stuff. But yeah, like this, the idea that no one asks any questions. Yeah. They're like, they're just fully accepting of, oh yeah, there's a clone army and it was, you know, commissioned 10 years ago by a Jedi who's supposed to be dead. And, or more than 10 years ago. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it was paid for with mysterious like blood money and it, we're just going to use it. We're just going to take it all at face value and say, oh, great, great boon to us. <laughs> Lucky us. We got a we got a clone army we didn't pay for. And these no one asks, like, oh, hey, these clones, like, you know, biologically, uh, are they given, like, biological Manchurian instructions to, to murder on Jedi on site if given a, an order? Do we check up on the well-being of these clones ever? Do we, like, 
see if they're, they're like, there's no individualistic individualism in them. It's like, hmm, do we check? Do we give psych evaluations to these things? Yeah. Who, what's again, it's just like I'll, this plot point presents a lot of questions that don't get answered. There has to be fan fiction about this evil, desolate world. <laughs> probably, oh, I mean, that's like what? Episode seven. <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. They, they, they talk about like, you know, the, how clone troopers like are out of work, you know, in the Mandalorian, like they're like, just they, they've lost all hope because they don't have any wars to fight. You know, they're just like deadbeats on the street. I mean, if you were built for war, I guess. They are totally obedient, taking any order without question. We modified their genetic structure to make them less independent than the original host. And who was the original host? A bounty hunter called Jango Fett. And where is this bounty hunter now? Oh, we keep him here. Apart from his pay, which is considerable, Fett demanded only one thing. An unaltered clone for himself. Curious, isn't it? Unaltered? Pure genetic replication. No tampering with the structure to make it more docile. And no growth acceleration. I should very much like to meet this Django Fett. I would be very happy to arrange it for you. So there's the answer to that mystery. Which mystery? Who's the who's the bounty hunter who's been trying to assassinate Padme? Mm. Django. Django. I have more questions. What's your questions? <laughs> In an earlier clip, uh, Dude Man was like, they're very creative and we're proud of how they do uh, and they learn how to battle in real time. Folded up. They're completely obedient. Can you do both? <laughs> Can both be true? They may, they're the perfect clone. That's all you, they it, are that, docile. That, Can you do all those things? That's the where it's like, we just have to accept it because that's what the script said. It's like, how do you know that? Well, the script said that. I have it here, right in the script. Oh my gosh. All right. Yeah, that, 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 there's, there's another example. I don't want to sit here. Is that, what's that on the floor over there? Is that the script? Move on. <laughs> We have not even finished one half of this thing. It's been over an hour. Anyway, the the Jango Fett conf confrontation when when Obi Wan first meets Jango Fett, who is not only the basis for all of these clones, and that's why all the clones sound like him. Mm -hmm. who, who's the actor here? Oh man, I'm, I can't even pronounce this. Uh, Mr. Morrison. <laughs> what is the first name? Tamura. Tim. Tamura. I don't know. Mr. Morrison. They all sound like that guy. <laughs> But anyway, uh, yeah. So they meet. He meets Jango Fett in this scene. Um, I don't know. It's kind of tense. It's like a like a Hitchcock scene where we know we we know that Jango Fett's the guy that Obi Wan's been searching for. Obi Wan knows that, and Jango knows that Obi Wan has been searching for him. Mm -hmm. It's like everyone is in on the you know in on it, but they have to play like they don't. You know, it's sort of like a cat and mouse scene here. I like it. Yeah. This is Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's come to check on our progress. Your clones are very impressive. You must be very proud. I'm just a simple man trying to make my way in the universe. Ever made your way as far into the interior as Coruscant? Once or twice. Recently? Possibly. Then you must know Master Cypher Dias. Master who? Cypher Dias. Is he not the Jedi who hired you for this job? Never heard of him. 
Really? I was recruited by a man called Tyrannus on one of the moons of Bogdan. Curious. I don't know, man. I like that. I, I, just, I like their name. I wish there was more of these two, you know, because this is like Django Fett's only real speaking scene. Mm -hmm. They have a, they have like a chase scene in the in in their spaceships later. That's really it. Like Django Fett gets no time in this movie. Yeah, the actor gets plenty of work because he has to voice all the clones. But <laughs> Django Fett does not do a whole lot. Yeah, before he before he just yeah loses his head. <laughs> um, real quick, you were like the scene's tense because we know. Fett is the problem. Obi-Wan knows Fett is the problem. Fett knows that Obi-Wan knows that he is the problem. But does Obi-Wan know that Fett knows that Obi-Wan knows? I think so. I think they're everyone's in on it, except for the the, the woman who introduced them. Okay. And the, and, and Django's Django's son, Boba. Okay. That's there, fine. In a very Hitchcock way, we also like the camera cuts to what no one else can see but Boba Fett. And basically, it's him shutting the closet door, and you can see Django Fett's like armor in the closet. Uh, Obi Wan has seen the the the, the bounty hunter costume; like right. he knows he's seen the army or armor already, the Mandalorian armor. So he knows, like, it's like the audience knows. It's like, okay, this is the guy that Obi Wan's been searching for. And and like Hitchcock had a had a quote. He said, "If there are two people sitting at a table having dinner, and there's a bomb under the table, right?" Mm -hmm. If the audience doesn't know there's a bomb under the table and it just goes off, it's shocking, but you know, it's, it's shocking for like two seconds, right? Mm -hmm. If there's a camera cut to the bottom of the table where the bomb is and the, and the, the audience sees the bomb, the rest of the scene is super tense. You right. Know? It's tense the whole time. And I feel like that's what George Lucas did there. So yeah. good job, George. You did one good thing. <laughs> good job, George. I want more of this. Why wasn't the movie all of this? <laughs> It was. It's called Blade Runner. Blade Runner. I was gonna say, like, as much as you, uh, you're like, I like this interaction. You're right. Like the the writing is better here, and the music is really making to be uh, really tense. But I was gonna say, like, almost immediately the switch from him talking to the invisible people to him having to ADR to match the tone of uh, was. The switch was immediate. Like he was still doing it, but it was like the pacing was slower and it was a lot flatter. But the uh, Morales, what would you, Mr. Morrison, Mr. Morrison did a good job. I think it was a little bit more like love, but he also didn't have. He had a lot of lines, but he was doing voiceover a lot. He he was doing a lot of voice. He was doing a lot of voiceover, so he like. Had this down at that point. I bet this guy's probably a voice actor also. And he's, uh, got, he's got a very you know distinct voice. He's, yeah. I, I think he's New Zealand. Yeah. Oh, I don't know where it's from. But it is like, yeah, he was hitting his marks yeah. vocally. Anyway, that's kind of the end of what my conversation wanted to have about Obi-Wan subplot. Because, you know, I, I, it's like I, there's a lot to praise. And, and, you know, just stuff to nitpick. But yeah. I, th I feel like this half of the movie, because it really is two halves mm -hmm. of one movie. This half is the the better one. This is the more palatable one. Yeah, yes. This is, even even as a little kid, this is the one I I identified more with. You know. Yeah. And when people look back and say, "Oh, Attack of the Clones is worse than the Phantom Menace," I was like, "Listen, dude, I really like Obi Wan's subplot in Attack of the Clones. Yeah. And it's better than anything in the Phantom Menace. If I made a smash cut of just these places, of just these parts, would you watch it? It's like twenty minutes. <laughs> the twenty minutes of the movie you like, and then follow yeah. with Blade Runner. Anyway. Uh, we have to move on to the next half of the movie. 
We can't finish if we don't. Which is the romance. Let's speed through this one. (laughs) Hey, kids, before we get into this section about quote unquote romance, I want to give some trigger warnings. We will be discussing themes of non-consensual actions, gaslighting, victim blaming, general incel behavior, and the downplaying of the reality and terror, terror of rape culture. So if any of those things do not sit well with you, go ahead and skip to one hour, 49 minutes. 43 seconds. See you on the other side, kids. Annie? My goodness, you've grown. So have you. Grown more beautiful, I mean. Well, for a senator, I mean. (laughs) Annie, you'll always be that little boy I knew on Tatooine. Love is in the air. (laughs) Did you hear it? I hate it. I heard nothing. This is already so bad. It's like it's it's awkward and cringy from the start, and then uh, you know she like you'll always be that little boy I knew. She's setting boundaries because he just said you're so pretty. <laughs> I more, mean, for senator, more beautiful. And she goes, uh huh. You'll always be that little boy. She like bites her lip a little bit though. It's like mm. I don't want to laugh in the child's face. It's gonna, it's gonna scar him for the rest of his life when he tries to hit on a woman. She was being nice. She's been nice to him. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I think George had grand designs for this. He was, he was, I, I believe, and he brought on the the playwright probably because he's like, I want this to be my Romeo and Juliet. Star-crossed lovers, they can't be with one another because you know life won't allow it, but they're gonna do it anyway. The playwright didn't do his job. No one did their job. No one did the job. Do you think Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman have good chemistry? No. No. That's 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 a horrible thing, too. That being said, it was a lot of ADR, so we couldn't hear if they actually had, like, because I think Natalie Portman is an excellent actress. I know she's an excellent actress. Do I believe that she could, you know, like. She had better chemistry with Forney. Yeah. <laughs> she so had better I, chemistry with um with Mila Kunis in, in Black Swan. <laughs> didn't watch it it was terrifying um i just if she could make the weirdness that was leon the professional (laughs) work like i feel like she would have been good and then again hayden christensen is not a bad actor like i've seen him pull have chemistry with other people maybe they don't have chemistry right like maybe they don't don't, but it's hard what chemistry is because the other movie we saw with uh with hayden christensen he had no chemistry with the female lead in that movie either Okay, fair. Maybe Hayden Christensen is not a just not a romantic actor. Okay, Maybe fair. that's not his forte. You know, he's he's he not a, a, he's not a he, he's a hunk, but he's not like a. Is he? I don't know. He looks like someone from a J.C. Penney catalog. <laughs> that's the best definition of hunk I've ever heard. <laughs> Absolutely. I was just thinking about he was in Jumper, and I think that had a romantic thing. You know. Maybe he's bad at chemistry. Maybe maybe yeah. He's just not he's not someone you want as your romantic lead. You Scratch know? everything I said. They don't have chemistry. <laughs> but additionally, if they had even a little bit, it was squashed by the ADR, the need for ADR. So uh, let's I want to just kind of run through what what Anakin gets wrong in the romance. It's like, why doesn't this romance work? Everything is wrong. Everything. <laughs> like what? Everything. From the very first moment they're going up into the in the elevator to see her. I haven't seen her in such a long time. <sighs> like, no, no, everything. The way he like, 
at every point tries to step in and not just mansplain, but control a situation when one, he is younger, two, he is not an official anything. He's a learner with a permit. She is a senator. She is an uh, a, a girl former boss. queen. She is a guerrilla war. Like, who do you think you are? Well, I got clips. Okay, first one. This is literally the first scene together they have. After the, my goodness, you've grown. Like, this is seconds after that. I don't need more security. I need answers. I want to know who's trying to kill me. We are here to protect you, Senator. Not to start an investigation. We will find out who's trying to kill you, Padme. I promise you. We will not exceed our mandate, my young Padawan learner. I meant it in the interest of protecting her, Master, of course. We will not go through this exercise again, Anakin. And you will pay attention to my lead. Why? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Arguing with his boss. <laughs> like, they, this scene is great if you only pay attention to the reaction shots of the other people in the room. <laughs> Everyone in the room is super uncomfortable. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's they're there not only with Padme, but with like Padme's head of security with her decoy. Yeah. <laughs> like everyone's just like looking at each other, like, should we be here for this? Right? Or should, is this is this the detail that we need? Is this appropriate? <laughs> I I I would also like to say this this clip starts off with I don't need protection. I need answers. Me too, Padme. <laughs> Me too. I think like even even before. Him, like, doing, just being ridiculous, like, having no cues, <laughs> no social cues, no, like, no tact. Pers personal cues, right? The first moment, Obi-Wan's, like, um, rude, but he's, like, we're not here to start an investigation, Senator. We're here to protect you. Yeah, Padme. One used a title of respect as this is a business place. The other one made it really personal, really quick for no reason. Like, mm, See, we, we, I, I've, yeah, I was like, I barely know you. Like, I've worked for friends before, right? Like, I've been in a position where one of my close friends was my boss. Like, we were friends before, and then I joined the same company and I worked under her. At work, she was Mrs. Barnes. Mrs. She was Miss Barnes. <laughs> I did not call her by her first name. I did not get buddy, but we are in a, a, a position of work and therefore it is my job to do my job and to make sure that you as my boss are leading this. Cool. What? Why would you go into a place where you were supposed to be helping this woman with something and then immediately he always goes to undercut and put them on the same level or himself above her. He is 14 years her junior. Age is not the reason I'm saying this, but the lack of respect yes. for a woman who has been in a career since before he was freed. <laughs> okay, continue. What is your suggestion, Master Jedi? Oh, Anakin's not a Jedi yet. He's still a Padawan learner. But I was thinking- Hold on a minute. Excuse me. I was thinking I would stay in the lake country. There's some places up there that are very isolated. Excuse me. I'm in charge of security here, milady. And this is my home. I know it very well. That is why we're here. I think it would be wise if you took advantage of my knowledge in this instance. Sorry, milady. I hate him. <laughs> I. Excuse me. <laughs> it could feel like she was taking a stab at him. Maybe. 
when she was it's not but i could see where it could be like oh master jedi and he's he's not and it's not her undercutting it's just her saying hey these are the facts right like because she is about like facts and getting she's she's talking to like the queen the council of naboo like she's talking to old like career politicians right now it's like hey the grown-ups are talking yeah and then he cuts her off and proceeds to tell her what's going here's the thing here's the thing if somebody if you have somebody who is there to guard you you do listen to them and you and you to make sure that your well-being is good and you know how I know that she knows this because she always has bodyguards and she always considers them. She's always like, okay, right. We're going in this situation. We are going to have to switch. I'm going to stand behind you. You are being the queen right now as my body double. Therefore I will be following your lead. Yes, I am in charge here. And when things are like, but that's the point of guarding my body. She knows what she's doing. You stupid sand boy. (laughs) I'm like, just like with the other scene, look at the reactions to the other people in the room to this exchange. Like, there's, you know, the old man who's like, oh, what do you think, Master Jedi? Like, he's like, ooh, what did I do? You know, yeah. he looks, everyone's so uncomfortable. And then the queen of Naboo is standing there like, oh, should I be like, this is weird. This is cringy, right? I can only imagine, like, if this was a real romance, right? Um, imagine, right? You, This is the first impression your boyfriend makes with your friends, right? And then, like, you know, let's say Padme, you know, catches up with the queen, like, a year, th- two years down the road. And, like, oh, who, who are you seeing these days? Oh, I married that young Jet. Uh, that guy? You <laughs> married that guy? <laughs> the guy who was, like, mansplaining you during a meeting? <laughs> like, <laughs> And, unfortunately, there are a lot of romances out there like that. <laughs> so I could just only imagine that, like, oh, honey. <laughs> yeah. It's unbelievable and disgusting. You should have talked to and me first. He's not good for he's you. He's not good for you. <laughs> he's not good for himself. He is a willful child. A willful child. A disrespectful, willful child. And uh, he, he talks a lot about himself, not her. I think it's a, he's very self-centered, Anakin Skywalker. Right? Don't get me wrong. Obi-Wan is a great mentor. As wise as Master Yoda and as powerful as Master Windu. I am truly thankful to be his apprentice. The conversation was about him. Was not about him initially. In some ways. A lot of ways. I'm really ahead of him. I'm ready for the trials. But he feels that I'm too unpredictable. He won't let me move on. That must be frustrating. It's worse. He's overly critical. He never listens. He he doesn't understand. Literally, that scene, he starts that diatribe as she's discussing legislation that she's been working on. Like, the, this conversation was not about him. <laughs> it's, it was like, she's just like, she was talking about like, oh yeah, I've been fighting, you know, the, the creation of the War Act or whatever, you know. Uh, and he just starts complaining about his boss. I'm not about to dis- defend this man at all. I'm trying to find reasons why he's acting this way. And I could see 
it be because as a child, she was the first person to listen to him. And so it's been forever since we've been and he fall back, falls back into it. Now, let me tell you more, more about how terrible my life is and stuff like that. So maybe that's why he turns it. She's his quote unquote safe place, but he's not. This is their second conversation after yeah. 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. And they get married Ugh. like tomorrow. They're disgusting. Look, he's a lot and he's a complainer. And he's <laughs> what a whiner. And he really doesn't care about the things that are important to her, like saving the lives of many. <laughs> the continuation. This is literally the next line from the clip I just played. It's not fair. All mentors have a way of seeing more of our faults than we would like. It's the only way we grow. I know. Anakin. Don't try to grow up too fast. But I am grown up. You said it yourself. Please don't look at me like that. Why not? It makes me feel uncomfortable. It's not a good sign, my man. When nope. a woman tells you, you're making me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Nope. Nope. I did, it's like, even the, why not? <laughs> Everything about it is disgusting. Um, I hate it. Uh, I have very little <laughs> more to it. say about that. It's not good. It's bad. It's predatory behavior. Um, it's not taking no for an answer. Uh, it's not understanding boundaries, even though we're putting them, putting them up very clearly. Don't look at me like that. There's the scene ends where like she walks away and like he kind of like looks back and gives creepy weird looks. He, Anakin's a creep. Yes. Anakin's a real weirdo. Yes. Uh, this is a conversation that happens after they've like kind of they're they're playing refugees and they're traveling to Naboo. Mm -hmm. You know, so they're just like chatting in the transport, I guess. Must be difficult having sworn your love to the Jedi, not being able to visit the places you like or do the things you like. I'll be with the people that I love. Are you allowed to love? Thought that was forbidden for a Jedi. Attachment is forbidden. Possession is forbidden. Compassion, which I would define as unconditional love, is central to a Jedi's life. And so you might say that we are encouraged to love. Loophole. Ew. <laughs> I'm, um, so here's my problem with, with like love in Star Wars in general. Mm -hmm. And we talked about this. I, I think it was a bad move to make the Jedi Order celibate monks. Right. That was an incredibly poor decision on George Lucas's part. Mm -hmm. And it set up not only this story for failure. But all subsequent Star Wars stories related to like real human relationships. Mm -hmm. Jedi should not be celibate monks who forego, you know, love and passion and romance uh, as something that's forbidden. Right. Because uh, it alien it it, it 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 limits what human emotions Jedi can have. Right. Whereas you watch the original Star Wars movie. There is no indication that Jedi aren't allowed to love in the first three Star Wars movies. That is something that is added here. 
right here. Mm-hmm. Like Obi-Wan encourages Luke Skywalker to like let go of one's feelings, look beyond to be wise, right? Because emotions can cloud your judgment sometimes. Right. But it's he never tells Luke, do not like cut off all emotions all the time. Be emotionless. Be passionless. That's not present. Agreed. It's it's like, hey, let go of the material world and look beyond. Like it's a very spiritual thing, right? Yeah. One can be spiritual and romantic at the same time. Yeah. It, so I think Again, this is not just the Anakin's a weird creep stuff. This is a the Jedi era weird creeps. And I think it was incredibly poor decision making to make the Jedi this way. Yeah. And it's done irreparable damage to the mythos of Star Wars, in my opinion. Um, I mean, can't they just retcon it like they can the clones? Eventually, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure Disney is looking for ways to just restart <laughs> Star yeah. Wars. I mean, it's easy enough to just be like, and that was oh, the Jedi died out, and but the Force is still active, and we are trying to find their ways and reteach ourselves and learn. Oops, didn't hear about the celibacy thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> Ryan Johnson had, I think when he was writing the last Jedi was thinking to himself, Hey, all this weird Jedi stuff that Lucas injected into the prequel trilogy that made the, the Jedi incredibly weird people who were kind of poor judgments of character. They were flaccid and pot, uh, impotent. Uh, they, in, they had weird practices like do not love. Mm-hmm. I think that's all bad, weird stuff. And I want to write it out of existence. So he, wrote The Last Jedi with that in mind about, hey, rejecting the past, starting anew. Mm -hmm. And guess what? The Star Wars fans didn't like it. (laughs) And they went back on it. (laughs) So, just saying, Ryan Johnson tried to do something good (laughs) with The Last Jedi. He tried to literally save the world. (laughs) And and y'all threw him under the bus. (laughs) Uh, uh, Drives me nuts. Yeah. (laughs) Drives me nuts. Nuts. Anyway. Let's talk about romance some more. Uh, fine. How how's this? How does uh does uh does support and fascism is that uh get you get you hot, hot and bothered? Bothered. You really don't like politicians, do you? I like two or three, but I'm not really sure about one of them. <laughs> that was cute. I don't think the system works. How would you have it work? We need a system where the politicians sit down and discuss the problem. Agree what's in the best interest of all the people, and then do it. That's exactly what we do. The The trouble is that people don't always agree. Well, then they should be made to. <laughs> Here, it's just, there's so many indications that he's a child. Yeah, he's you know what we should Im- do? Im- we should just have people sit around. Um, what do they teach you? Because that's what we do. Immature at best fascism at worst (laughs) he's both he's both he's both best and worst but just the worst double worst i authoritarian (laughs) like he doesn't he's like wants to talk to this girl about things that interest her but has no actual interest in it and then goes to say well this is how i would fix it because i'm a fixer and she says, that's what we do. The issue is people. Um, we'll just make them then. Who's going to make them? You? No, not me. But really me. 
it's nothing about their interactions. Like as a woman who has had a career, has a career, none of this is attractive. All of it is like, like change the music up, dude. Like there are definitely edits online probably that you can find that someone said this, right? Uh, I heard this recently, like the difference between a romance and a stalker movie is the music. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, definitely traditionally for sure. Yeah. Right. Like all you have to do is play a little bit more intimidating music and you, you know, Oh no. Everything he says is such a weird red flag. Like this guy is, this guy is off his rocker. Like yeah. this is someone like, I feel like any like discerning woman would be like, Ooh, no, he's like, I hear about women who are like on dating apps and stuff like that. And they have to be super like defensive. Like yep. they're on defense all the time. Yep. So it's like any indication of a red flag on a dating app. Like if someone texts you something weird, it's like, cut it off. It's yep. like, no, no, I'm unsafe mm -hmm. with you. He has so many of these weird red flags so to me. So many. I was like, this guy is. <laughs> Bad news, bear. What about the scene where he bears his soul? <laughs> like he, he begs for it. Ugh. From the moment I met you. All those years ago, not a day has gone by when I haven't thought of you. And now that I'm with you again, I'm in agony. The closer I get to you, the worse it gets. The thought of not being with you, I can't breathe. You're hurting me. You're stop. <laughs> stop. Are we really doing some incel right now? Right? Like that's That's what this is. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. It's just it's your fault I can't get you out of my mind. And it's your fault that being with you on this assignment that I definitely threw myself into that I'm not getting any gratification, that I'm hurting, that I'm in agony, that I'm blue that i'm so you need to fix it i hate it i'm haunted by the kiss that you should never have given me you, you, shit. <laughs> i hate hoping it. that that kiss will not become a scar this is you are in my very soul tormenting me what can i do I will do anything that you ask. This is a letter a stalker leaves after murdering someone. Yes. And the creepy thing is, like, the scene is shot like some romantic, like, like something you'd see in a Fabio novel, you know? Like, because it's like they're next to, like, this, this, they're, they're being lit by, by a fireplace and, like, they're sitting on the couch and it's very, like, you know, I, I think it's what George Lucas thinks is romantic. Like, classic Hollywood stuff, you it's, know? But he's so creepy. It's terrifying. It's like, like, and not just like, oh, it's creepy, but like, as a woman, right? I had sat there watching it with you and I was grossed out, right? Like, I was just like, ugh. But it's interspaced with other conversations and stuff, but just like hearing it flat with everything. Like, I have chills. It's like, real talk, like pulling back, like, that's terrifying. Because I think like, as a woman, I've been in positions where men have like cornered me. It, she is cornered. She has to like walk like she's on the couch and she keeps like reeling back and then she has to stand up because he's 
encroaching. Because he, he's already showed that he does not respect her space, that he does not respect her as a a grown woman, as a career woman, as a senator, as a person with her own mind. And Natalie Portman is a tiny woman. And I know that this is... So Amadala is a tiny, tiny woman. And this boy is towering over her in every sense of the word. And like to be made to feel like... And they're alone and he's her bodyguard and he has rights to manhandle her. And that's within his duties. Like it's so scary how like quickly this and and the thing is like the idea, right? Like this kind of like idea of male gaze, female gaze. But this idea that like this a man thinks a woman finds this attractive being unable to protect herself and being at the at the barrel end of her protectors and him saying this is for your own good like in every sense of the word in every sense of the way right like no i'm protecting you i'm taking you out of here no you don't get to talk because you don't know what you're saying no like all of that like so sitting here listening to it like is terrifying a little triggering for some stuff that i've been through in my life right but like that's not sweet like that's not okay like that is not romance like that is a lot of not good bad juju vibes he kissed her by the way she didn't kiss him it was him he and his he and he incited that and uh he's like that kiss you shouldn't have given me <sighs> it's hurting me and was that at the sand thing? that was the sand thing the they sand thing is the worst thing like i know we played it at the beginning i don't know that you're gonna play it again it's perfectly no, divine no but like when he the whole the whole thing Right. Like as much as like I'm probably never going to quote this again because it just makes me feel bad. But like the like sand is coarse and horrible and it gets everywhere and it's rough, whatever. Like we always make fun of that. But literally the next line, he turns to her. She's wearing clothes, but a giant open black back dress. And without provocation, without asking for consent, he strokes her back and says, you are lovely. Like, are you and then kisses her and it's her fault. I need to move on, Rodney. I am mad. I am mad. It's 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm not going to be able to drink alcohol after this. If you're suffering as much as I am, please tell me. I can't. Stab him with a knife. <laughs> we can't. It's just not possible. Anything is possible, Padme. Listen to me. No, you listen. We live in a real world. Come back to it. You're starting to become a Jedi. I'm, I'm, I'm a, a senator. senator. <laughs> That's her excuse. She's a senator. It's more like, no, you're a creepy weirdo. Get away from me. You can't tell creepy weirdos that they're creepy weirdos. It just makes them act more strongly in the position that they are. It sucks that she can't just see like, no, no. Maybe I have reasons. It's like, maybe, right? Like maybe in 20 years when I'm in a different thing and you're grown up, I would consider it. But the answer is no, she regardless. Needs she needs to radio Yoda like right now. Hey, this guy's out of control. Like <laughs> this guy's out of control. For real. <laughs> anyway. And then, and then uh, plot stuff happens. It's not important. They go to another, they go to Tatooine, which is, uh, <laughs> um, uh, Anakin's home planet because he is concerned about the well-being of his mother, you know, and they find out that his mother has been kidnapped by uh, Tusken Raiders. Right. And Anakin decides to go rescue his mom from these Tusken Raiders. You're on a job, dude. Uh, she uh, she dies in their uh, custody. And so at, as revenge, uh, Anakin kills them all. And then, and then this scene happens. This g incredibly romantic scene happens between Padme and Anakin. I killed them. 
I killed them all. They're dead. They're dead. <laughs> Every single one of them. And not just the men, but the women and the children, too. They're like animals, and I slaughtered them like animals. I hate them. She married that guy. <laughs> That's a, I, was, I, I put huge red flags. I was like, this man is dangerous. Get away from him. And yet somebody made him a cop and gave him a weapon. And, and then she like this scene ends her stroking his hair and like comforting him. It's like, no, man, this guy is get out of control. Taxi, get off of this planet. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, Anakin. Uh, <laughs> not, not, not a not a great romantic partner. Is he a winner? Did he win? Don't, did he win the romance prize? No. <laughs> no. Is this a better love story than Twilight? No. <laughs> it's worse than Twilight. Yes. You heard it here first. Here's the thing. Edward Cullen continuously gaslights Bella to her face, watches her while she sleeps, and does a lot of old-timey... Creepy weird stuff. Yes. But he asks for consent most of the, except for the watching her while he sleep while she's sleeping, breaking into her room. He asks for consent mostly. Mostly he asks for consent. He, he doesn't commit genocide and then cry about it. And you can see that she genuinely, even though she shouldn't, likes him. <laughs> okay. And in the end, of course, love wins despite all that weird stuff. We all lose. Love wins. Don't be afraid. I'm not afraid to die. I've been dying a little bit each day since he came back into my life. <laughs> what are you talking about? I love you. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because the script says it? You love What's me. that over there? Is that the script? <laughs> Is that it's the script wrong. on the floor? Burn it. <sighs> and that's the end of that. <laughs> are we done now? I don't. I, I don't even want to praise the movie anymore at this point. But I, like, I had pegged like to talk about the things in the movie I did like. Let's not. We've already. We're just gonna be in ten minutes. It's gonna be two hours. Two hours of this. Two hours of this. Okay, I'm just gonna say briefly. <laughs> the the car chase at the beginning is cool. Uh huh. The arena scene. There's a there's a gladiator arena scene where like uh, Anakin, Padme, and Obi Wan are all tied up to posts, mm. and they're gonna get like sacrificed to these you know, wild animals, like a tiger, you know, like, like you would see in ancient Rome, like yeah. fight a tiger. And that is a very exciting, cool scene. And then it turns into like a lightsaber battle with, with Jedi and droids. It's, it's pretty slick. And then that transitions into the war stuff, which, yeah. you know, Yoda using and, trafficked people. And, and of course, speaking of Yoda, that transitions into the final lightsaber fight, which I want to talk about briefly. Yeah, go ahead. It is obvious that this contest cannot be decided by our knowledge of well, the yeah, force. Oh yeah, that guy we met once. Yeah. But by our skills with a lightsaber. That is the sound of Yoda pulling out his lightsaber and fighting for the very first time in Star Wars history. <gasps> now, you did not see this movie in the theater. I did. On opening day. And that was probably the loudest I've ever heard an audience applaud and cheer 
a movie moment, like mm. louder than Avengers Endgame mm. with the Avengers Assemble garbage. Uh, louder, it's like I, that didn't work on me. I was mm-hmm. like, it was fine. Um, louder than probably like Spider Man, uh, Tobey Maguire showing up in Spider Man. Mm. You know, like it was bananas. <laughs> the place went banana. <laughs> okay, <laughs> went a, a single large banana. And it it was probably the most like memorable movie like theater moment I've ever had was mm-hmm. sitting in that theater and hearing the crowd go wild when Yoda pulls out the lightsaber and just starts flipping around and they 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 went crazy. Yeah. The people were just so loud and excited <laughs> to see that happen. And I think when you step back and really think about it, like it does kind of like contradict a lot of what Yoda talked about in the first trilogy with mm-hmm. you know Yoda talks about like you know the the you know a lightsaber is simply a tool you know it's not a you know it's not what makes a man great mm-hmm. right that's a line from from Empire Strikes Back right right Jedi weapons don't make men great mm-hmm. you know it's what's inside you know and that to see Yoda kind of like flip around and like rely on the lightsaber as opposed to like you know something more wise I don't know something don't, more spiritual material like immaterial I mean I I disagree with that in in that, I, I do I too. Think that, like, That's my point. Oh yeah. No, no. I I disagree. Well, because I, I think you're saying Yoda shouldn't have done it. Some people argue that. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't think so. Okay. Great. Then yeah. I just yeah. I disagree with that. Why do you you not think? so? I just think it's because that moment was so powerful um, that I was like just to, you know it's like it doesn't matter. I feel like the fact that this is such a novelty, visually, mm-hmm. I think makes up for any kind of like you know inconsistent with inconsistency with Yoda's character. Yeah, I think it's not even an inconsistency in the character in my in my point of view, right? I'm not a Star Wars buff, obviously, but I think for two things: one, it is a tool, and he was using it as a tool in that moment. <laughs> like the lightsaber is a tool to defend and to fight, and that's what he was doing in that moment with a pad one learner with hands chopped off and and knocked out master. Like, yep, uh huh, that's it. And then two. If you do think like, oh, maybe he should have, which I mean, yeah, had he sat there and really talked through and maybe asked questions about the clones and stuff like that, that would have been a wiser thing and what more seemingly more in line with the Yoda of the first series. But I think like, I think I said this when we were watching it, um, it makes sense. Like people have arcs. And so this was 20, 40, 60 years before Yoda said that to Luke. And maybe this is one of the moments where he was like, I should have done I that. should have talked. Yeah. You know, right? Like yeah. he lived a whole, he's 850 years old. I don't know. <laughs> so maybe, right? I should, like, I should have, I tr- should have trusted the force and, and had it guide me to ask me questions. I should have been more discerning yeah. rather than just go straight to the lightsaber. Right. Exactly. So it's solely in line with character because like characters develop. He didn't come out of the green womb. I don't know. Did they hatch from <laughs> green eggs? Green womb. Do they hatch from eggs? I don't know. Uh, he didn't come into this world and be like, hmm. Wisdom. He wasn't a baby. He wasn't a baby Yoda thinking like this. Right. Exactly. He wasn't a baby Grogu. <laughs> Grogu. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So the Yoda, the the honestly, the whole last act of the movie, the action scenes, like it is pretty like drawn out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about like we didn't even talk about the movie's pacing. Like the movie's too long. The movie's, the movie's way too long. Far too long. But I feel like the last act, from the point where they enter the arena to the end of the movie with like the lightsaber fight, the battle. It's all very exciting and yeah. cool. 
and fun. Like it's just like pure spectacle, mm -hmm. you know. And sometimes it's fine to just enjoy a movie as a pure spectacle. You yeah, it's like half the fun of those Marvel movies. Like they're not they're not sophisticated cinema. It's not all raw spectacle. Mm -hmm. So for that, I appreciate it. Right. All the other you know the romance junk, get it out of there. You know, <laughs> the dialogue and the the stilted acting and the the ADR the poor framing you know just like the very generic like walking and talking scenes mm -hmm. it's all junk but the last act is fun and that yoda scene made it worth it yeah okay yeah <sighs> what did the world think Rick, what do you recommend this movie no no i don't either <laughs> watch blade runner instead don't ever make me watch this movie again ever <sighs> i'm exhausted <laughs> hurry up finish this wrap up i need alcohol what did what did what did the world think Star Wars Episode 2 Attack the Clones was a huge commercial success. So the world was wrong. Grossing $310 million in North America and $335 million overseas for a worldwide total of $645 million. It's a lot of money. However, it was the first Star Wars film to be outgrossed in its year of release ever. Placing third domestically. Want to take a guess? Two movies that... Uh, I freaking don't even care. I'm just happy for them. Spider-Man. With Toby yep, Keith? Toby McGuire. <laughs> and The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. That's fine. Both of those were those both of those work. Both of those were better than Attack Far better. Yep. And fourth worldwide. So it, it beat it was beat not only by those other two, but by Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Good. Good. It's too high on the list still. Attack of the Clones received a mixed critical reception with praise going toward the action, visual effects, musical score, costume design, and performances of McGregor. McDermott is Chancellor Palpatine, uh, Christopher Lee, and Frank Oz. But criticism toward the screenplay, romantic scenes, pacing, long run time, and underdeveloped characters. All things that you should uh, criticize. Yeah, absolutely. On the positive side, realviews.net said, quote, In a time when, more often than not, sequels disappoint, it's refreshing to uncover something this high profile that fulfills the promise of its name and adds another title, to a story legacy. Who wrote that? Let's get them fired. <laughs> and on the negative, Grandpa Ebert said, quote, as someone who admired the freshness and energy of earlier films, I was amazed at the end of episode two to realize that I had not heard one line of quotable, memorable dialogue. Good job, Pops. Good and of, job. And of the romance subplot, he said, quote, there is not a romantic word they exchanged that has not long since been reduced to cliche. Good job, Pops. And they're terrible, terrible cliches. Attack of the Clones was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects, but it lost to Lord of the Rings Two Towers, which that's fine. Well yeah, that's totally fine. Uh, it did, however, win Best Matte Painting in a Motion Picture from the Visual Effects Society. Okay. Sure. Sure. <laughs> the film was also nominated for seven awards at the Golden Raspberries, <laughs> including... Worst Director, Worst Supporting Actress for Natalie Portman, Worst Screen Couple for Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman, and Worst Remake slash Sequel. It won for Worst Screenplay <laughs> and Worst Supporting Actor for Hayden Christensen. Mm. He was the supporting actor? I don't know how they qualified that, but yeah. yeah. Okay. Worst Supporting. And at the Stinker's Bad Movie Awards, the film was nominated for Worst Screenplay for a film grossing more than $100 million worldwide using Hollywood math. <laughs> and Most Annoying Non-Human Character for Jar Jar Binks. Again? Again. He was barely in this one. And it won Worst Supporting Actor for Hayden Christensen. Oh, 
was a tough year for him. Poor Hayden. <laughs> he had to do it at least one more time. And what of the legacy of Attack of the Clones? Again, just like with the Phantom Menace, I'm only talking about like Attack of the Clones babies, you know, mm-hmm. like cousins of Attack of the Clones only, like right. not not Star Wars in general. That'd, that'd be too long. Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones spawned a novelization, mm-hmm. a Scholastic tie-in junior novel, yes. which I probably read, and a four-issue Dark Horse comic book adaptation. All right. The movie also inspired the Republic Commando book series, which is a, bo- a, a, a book series about uh, the clone troopers. Oh, okay. As if they had character and stuff. <laughs> they don't. Because they <laughs> maybe, don't. maybe they do in the books. I don't know. Mm. Attack of the Clones also spawned a handful of video games, including Star Wars Episode II, Attack of the Clones, for Game that. Boy Advance. I did not play that. Star Wars The Clone Wars for GameCube, PlayStation 2, and Xbox. Star Wars Jedi Starfighter, Star Wars The New Droid Army, Star Wars Battlefront, Star Wars Bounty Hunter, and Star Wars Republic Commando. Which ones did you play? I've played Republic Commando, which is an FPS where you play as a squad of clone troopers. Mm. And that movie that or that that game's actually pretty good. Um I remember my friend had Star Wars Bounty Hunter. I might have played it once. It's not good. It's really clunky. You play mm. as Django Fett and it's like just kind of a bad 3 3D, 3D action game. And Star Wars Battlefront is great. <laughs> it's a fun game where you can play a lot of different battles in Star Wars. All right. Yeah, that one was fun. The Attack of the Clones DVD features a trailer for a mockumentary-style short film known as R2-D2 Beneath the Dome. <laughs> That's the thing, I guess. Beneath the Dome. A 3D re-release of Attack of the Clones was originally scheduled for September 20th, 2013, but was postponed indefinitely due to Lucasfilm's desire to focus on Star Wars The Force Awakens instead and presumably the lackluster 3D release of The Phantom Menace. Mm. The 3D presentation of Attack of the Clones was, however, shown at Celebration Europe 2 in 2013. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think that's the last time the 3D Star Wars movies were shown. That's fair. They only... (laughs) Don't start with the prequels. That was was mistake number one. (laughs) No one wants to see Phantom Menace. Nobody wants Jar Jar Binks to go in their face. (laughs) And Attack of the Clones more or less gave life to the Clone Wars subseries of Star Wars, which includes two different animated television series and other media. But that's a story for a different day. <laughs> We're not done with Star Wars, folks. Can we be done? I have a twin sister, and I'm going to pay her to sit in this spot. You'll never notice. The the other Star Wars stuff will be better than this. I promise. It'll be better than this. You're a liar. No, it'll be better. You're a liar. Anyway, we're going to close this segment because it's been so freaking long. Ugh. Thanks for sticking through this discussion of the Star Wars. All right, kids. I'm going to close out this segment with Across the Stars, which is uh, the love theme from Star Wars Attack of the Clones. All right, kids. I will see you on the other side a little bit tipsy. I'll call now. Stay right there. The way out of the way road trip will be right back on Kids WB. Anakin, don't do anything without first consulting either myself or the council. He's holding me back! 
I'm a Jedi. A Jedi? What do you know? The boy has exceptional skills. His abilities have made him arrogant. You're not all powerful, Annie. Well, I should be. I see you becoming the greatest of all Jedi. Now, Anakin, no! Rated PG. We are coming back with Paul Simon's Me and Julio Down by the Schoolyard. That classic 1970s hit. It's a, it's a plot point in the freaking movie too. Like Is there, it? There's a dialogue about. I'm sure whoever you know, one of those screenwriters was a big fan of Paul Simon because <laughs> one of the characters asked, like, the song starts the movie and they ask the question, "Why did they break up?" Simon and Garfunkel, <laughs> as if that's something an 11 year old would ask. <laughs> Is this Simon and Garfunkel singing? This right is Paul now? Simon oh. of Simon and Garfunkel singing with someone else. I mean, I don't know. Maybe him and Julio apparently. All right. Yeah, I've never heard this song in my life. <laughs> I'm not a big Simon and Garfunkel fan, but this song's nice. Sounds like you're not a Simon fan. This is the first instance of 70s nostalgia in the 2000s. <laughs> I think we've been we've confronted here. Probably. Haha, it was me before yeah. it was you. Cuz I mean, uh, there's a lot of 50s nostalgia in the 80s, mm-hmm. a lot of 60s nostalgia in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, and then by the late 90s going into the early 2000s, there was a lot of 70s nostalgia. That 70s show Undercover brother. Oh, yeah. That was... <laughs> you're right. Uh, Goldfinger. Mm. Yeah. Okay. It's 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 that time. <laughs> 2002, the people were looking back to the 70s. Hey, remember when we used to dance to disco and do a lot of cocaine? And weren't at war? Wait, were we? Yes. <laughs> the late 70s. Remember the late 70s when we weren't at war anymore? <laughs> anyway. Has there been a decade where we have not been at war? Depends mm. on who you ask. Ugh. <laughs> anyway, uh, that is the opening number to the film uh, that just uh, made us watch. That's true. Released December 13th, 2002. Just in time for Christmas. <laughs> just a time for Christmas. It's a Christmas movie. It technically is a Christmas movie. <laughs> Directed by Wayne Wang. Written by Kevin Wade. Based on a story by Edmund Dantas. Starring Ralph Fiennes, Natasha Richardson, and Jennifer Lopez. Whoa. That is... Made in Manhattan. <laughs> do, 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 do. That's not that's not a, that's not something from this franchise. So uh what is <laughs> what is made for Manhattan and why did you watch it made so much? Made for Manhattan? <laughs> what is made when Manhattan? And why did you watch it so much? <laughs> um it's a movie and we'll talk about it later. It's just a movie about a woman who's uh working in a, as a maid. It's made in with, Manhattan. <laughs> in Manhattan. It's made with an eye in it, unlike media made. Um, I don't know why I watched it a lot. I think I just felt, you know what? Like there are some tales, old tales that like I just like to revisit in in retellings of and adaptations, adaptations. Right, one so being Peter Pan, one being Peter Pan. We talked Hook already, and one being Cinderella. 
Uh, I don't particularly love the like Disney versions of them, like the cartoons of either of those things. Like they're fine. They're just not what I'll like watch. Better than Peter Pan. Sure. If you say so. (laughs) But like, I like to see different adaptations and how they are adapted when they are made into stuff. So it was like one of those things where I was like, oh, yeah. So that's why I watched it. It's a Cinderella story. No, that's a different movie. Literally Dustin, that one. It's a Cinderella story about a maid in Manhattan. (laughs) And well, because you don't really strike me much of a like a rom-com fan. This is very much an early 2000s rom-com. What do I strike you as? I don't know. Like you, you, <laughs> I don't know, you, you have a very eclectic taste with talking movies. Yeah. I do. You like sad. This movie's not ex- this movie's... especially sad. Yeah. It's not. It's pretty yeah. standard fare. I typically light. like the more emotional things, and this one is not. No, this not is like your all. your popcorn movie. Like this is the movie my mom would want to go see in yeah. the theater. You know. Which... I I think. Honestly, my um, typical movie tastes fall between like two extremes and there's very rare things that are in the middle, right? Either it is emotionally harrowing and you are going to leave there thinking and feeling stuff and probably uncovering some trauma you didn't know you had, or it is so incredibly bad. It is not good bad. It is like camp nowhere bad it's like corny and it's like a lot you can ask any of my friends i will like recommend a movie and they're like where does this fall that's neither this made for manhattan is neither and this is one of those rare ones that just fall in the middle it's just pretty mediocre mediocre (laughs) (laughs) there's not really strong feelings one way or another (laughs) um like you don't you're just like okay that was fine yeah right like the other movie, which which side did that fall on? Some of my runners up. Um, so I think I think you're right. I don't particularly like uh, romances because I find them grating. There are really good romances out there, and I will watch them. But for the most part, if you don't hit a very specific subset of like ticks for me i'm usually cringing through it but this one it wasn't really cringy because i was like i don't know that i believe the love story and it's just kind of like things are happening and it's like it's so eh. cliche like the love stuff we'll, we'll talk about romance <laughs> i mean this is gonna be the romance episode too bad it's not coming out in february oh it's true <laughs> Valentine's hey Day. kids listen to this in february again again <laughs> um but like yeah it's like of all like I, I feel like I was exposed to all these like rom coms, not not because I wanted to, but because like you know, like we would go to the video store, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like I would rent like some kids movie or like you know like a PG thirteen action movie like Triple X <gasps> or something, you know. For shame! How <laughs> Vin, old were you? Were you thirteen? Vin, Vin Diesel. Were you thirteen for that PG movie? Probably. <gasps> okay. Uh, and then my mom would rent a rom com like this or <laughs> Sweet Home Alabama. A movie I've seen. Or other Jennifer Lopez uh, vehicles. Okay, see, but here's the thing. There's really only two Jennifer Lopez movies I like. This one's mediocre, and the other one is emotionally harrowing. And I watch that far more. Yeah. I'll I'll talk about her her pedigree when we talk about how the movie was made. But yeah, I'm like, I'm pretty sure. What's another word for pedigree? Because I don't like that. Her uh, portfolio? Yes. Or her resume? Yes. Predigree is too close to animal talk. Oh, I don't know. To to me, it reminds me of Triple H. Uh, Oh, that makes sense. You're a wrestling boy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to have an impromptu mom text on the... I'm going to text my mom and say, hey, have you seen Made for Manhattan? 
get the get the Have story you seen straight. Made first. in Manhattan, starring Jennifer Lopez. There and, you go. And I will report back. While you do that, I'm going to text your sister and say happy birthday. <laughs> but anyway, we should talk about how this movie was made. Oh yeah. Wait, kids. I just want you to know. Um, since that last segment was so long and harrowing, I'm going to make sure this segment is three hours long so that you guys can have a break of something that's mediocre and light. <laughs> Well-balanced. Yes. Don't you dare edit out this three-hour talk we're about to have. The story of Made in Manhattan is credited to one Edmund Dantes. Does that, that sound familiar at all? Edmund Dantes, that name sounds familiar. It's not the main character of Count of Monte Cristo. <laughs> it's the pen name. Of beloved film writer, director, John Hughes. Oh, no. Oh. Huh. Yeah. So, you know John Hughes? Okay. John Hughes movies? I That's interesting. I feel that. I feel well, that. What, what do you got? Any ideas? Oh, oh, Pretty in Purple. <laughs> um, 16 Fire Sticks. The Dinner Club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's all the movie. Wait, in my house ho- without ho- others. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> those are all the mo- those are all the ones. I don't think he's done anymore. Grandpa Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, after a string of hits in the eighties and nineties, including Pretty in Pink, Sixteen Candles, The Breakfast Club, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, and Uncle Buck, Hughes retired as a director, choosing instead to just write and produce films under both his real name and occasionally under the pseudonym. Edmund Dantes. Hmm. And my, I'm, I, I get the impression that Edmund Dantes is the name he used when he was trying to distance himself ah. from a project after it was taken from him. Hmm. Or, or after another writer... Uh, Fixed it. Changed it or <laughs> yeah. something. Yeah, because he, he wrote this... Like, he came up with the story mm-hmm. for Made in Manhattan. He did not... He's not credited for the screenplay. Um, what other Edward Dantes movies are there then? Drillbit Taylor. Mm-mm. And Beethoven, the dog series. Yes, just the first one. I believe just the first one. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So Edmund Dantes is John Hughes. If anyone is right. ever, you ever see that name? I just wanted to see what were the movies he wanted to distance himself from. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Drillbit Taylor and Beethoven. I've never even heard of Drillbit Ta- Taylor. It's the one without Owen Wilson. It's like really late in like you would think that john hughes had retired by that point but like it was really late in his career Mm. it's like 2007 or something oh wow yeah made in manhattan began as a john hughes script under the title the chambermaid which was described as a modern retelling of cinderella oh i never would have guessed (laughs) hughes was not only pegged to produce the project but it was reportedly planned to be his directorial comeback oh wow yeah so oh wow come back directing after a decade yeah and hillary swank was in talks to star. Mm, I like Hillary Swank. That would have been interesting. I get her confused with Jennifer Garner, so yeah. I only see Jennifer Garner right now. I don't know Jennifer Garner as a person, but I don't particularly love her acting. <laughs> Which one was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Sarah Jessica Parker. No, no, no. The movie we watched in '92. Oh, Hillary Swank. That was her, yeah, when she was a teenager. Yes. Yeah. I was so confused. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only Hillary Swank thing I've, I think I've ever seen. Oh, I'm going to make you watch P.S. I Love You. I don't really like the movie, but it is on that scale of, oh, you want to hurt me? I love you. Anyway, by summer 2001, John Hughes was out of the director's chair and Hillary Swank was out of the starring role. Oh, no. Also, you really do need to watch Million Dollar Baby. Oh, uh, that is a movie that exists. Yes. Yeah. Clint, Clint, Clint Eastwood. <laughs> yes, but that's Hillary Swank, not Jennifer Carter. Got it. 
Actress and singer Jennifer Lopez was cast instead, having come off a string of successful films like Salinas, Salinas. Out of Sight, and The Wedding Planner. I don't think I know what Out of Sight is, but I've seen it's, The Wedding it's, Planner. It's with um, George Clooney, where he plays like a con man. It's very... So, it's based on a uh, a novel, mm-hmm. uh, and the same... It, it, it's an interesting story. It's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a detour, but... <laughs> we get three hours to film. Out of Sight is based on a novel and that same who the, the novel the novel it's written by an author who also wrote a, the novel that was the basis for the film Jackie Brown. Oh. So in Jackie Brown, Michael Keaton plays a cop. Mhm. Even though Out of Sight was produced by an entirely different production company with an entirely different writer and director, they decided to cast Michael Keaton as the same cop character because it was shared in both novels. Huh. So there's like this secret Cinematic universe <laughs> where Michael Keaton is in both Jackie Brown and Out of Sight. That's so and he interesting. Has like a, you know, he has like a like a. He, he, I, I think it's like him and Jennifer Lopez had a. She's a cop also, mm-hmm. and it's like they had you know dated at one point, and he's kind of you know trying to reignite uh, things. But she's had a you know she's have a she had a sexy renaissance with with con man. Oh wow. George Clooney. <laughs> wow. Which canonically comes first? Probably Jackie Brown. Mm, that's interesting that you haven't ever made that a movie night. I watched both movies the day of our wedding. Because <laughs> I, I had nothing so to do that day other than Except get, dressed, get married, get dressed to get married. <laughs> so that whole morning, my my mom and all her all the people were like bustling through the house and were just like, "No, no, don't do anything. We got it all covered." I was like, "What am I supposed to do?" <laughs> I guess I'll watch Jackie Brown and Out of Sight. <laughs> That's great. I love that. <laughs> Wayne Wang, known for films like Dim Sum, A Little Bit of Heart, Eat a Bowl of Tea, Chinese Box, Smoke, and The Joy Luck Club. Oh my gosh. I was already before you got to Joy Luck Club. I was like, all these movies sound excellent. I don't know what they're about, but I love their titles and I want to watch. So, oh my gosh, I love Joy Luck Club so much. That man was brought in to direct. Um. <laughs> the uh. movie's... The movie is passable. It's totally fine. <laughs> Joy Luck Club is um, art, so it's kind of. It, I mean, maybe like I want to maybe credit like the the attention to like the minority focus of the yeah. film a little bit to him. I don't yeah. know. Maybe that's why he was brought in because he has an eye for that, you know. Which is good, but it was going to be Hillary Swank first. So. Yeah, I know, but like you know, th- things change. Like yeah, there's there's still a Puerto Rican like flavor to the movie, right. you know, at least. Yeah, you know, it's like, which is good. Yeah. And the screenplay was rewritten by Kevin Wade, best known for the 1988 film Working Girl. Ooh. I've not seen Working Girl, but like I would imagine it has the same style as Made in Manhattan. Like this movie could have been called Working Girl. Ah, uh, fair. I haven't seen Working Girl. I haven't either. And I don't know what it is, but I think Working Girl, my brain says taxi. That's a different movie with different themes. But Working Girl. Like, taxi Driver. That's a movie about a psychopath. Then I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> like I, for some reason, when I think of the film Working Girl, I'm thinking of like a working class type yeah. movie. And that's Not what this too is. Far. That too. We need to have a Dolly Parton movie night. <laughs> Continue. John Hughes did not produce the final film. Mm. Uh, I was trying to find some some insight on that. Some hot you know, gossip. I was like, what? But he's also like notoriously... Reserve like uh, uh, withdrawn, mm. so it's like I don't know what happened, but connecting the dots, something happened where the movie changed and he left. Yeah, I mean, I guess it happens. 
He's entitled to his privacy. Yeah, this was his penultimate project. Ah. And then Drill Beethoven? Put Taylor. Oh. No, Drill Put Taylor was the last thing. Filming for The Chambermaid began in April 2002 on location at New York's Roosevelt Hotel and the Waldorf Astoria Hotel and in the Bronx. Oh. New York, get your act together. <laughs> Name your hotels those, something different. Those hotels have been named since the encroachment of the country. Waldorf That's Astoria. Weird. Waldorf Astoria. That's where James Earl Jones stayed coming to America. <laughs> on the first day of production... In the Bronx, paparazzi and spectators forced filming to stop, and p- the police were called. Oh wow! They should have just used the those scenes the for digital later. Set. They no, they should have just used those scenes for later when the paparazzi were swarming. We'll talk about like, <laughs> like, like production was. We'll talk about what it, you know the feel of the movie because it's very much filmed in New York. You yeah, know? but like maybe the like it's it's kind of telling, right? It's like the same year they tried to film in New New York on location in the Bronx, mm. and paparazzi had to stop production. Meanwhile, George Lucas is filming on a sealed digital set where there are no, like, no outside problems. Yeah. Many of maybe, inside. Maybe that's why he's like, you know, we need to film on the, these digital sets so that yeah. we don't have to deal with that crap. <laughs> the Chambermaid was officially retitled Made in Manhattan in August 2002. Uptown Girl was also considered. Uptown Girls is a different movie with uh, Brittany Murphy. And it was planned for a release in December. And it came out in hey. December. So, you know what? It it is rare that we hear movies that actually do their date. Yeah, no without no, no delays. No delays. No horrible rushing. At least. I mean, they yeah, they got it done really a year. Yeah. You know, so good, good job, job all. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike the last movie, nobody did anything wrong here. Well, <clears throat> nobody did anything wrong. I, I guess that's true. But no one did anything exceptional either. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. I was like, we don't always have to shoot for the moon. Yeah. You, you made a competent film. Yes. All. <laughs> and let's meet our characters. Okay. And uh, in the meantime, like at the same time, we could kind of describe the like general like production of the movie because it has a feel, you know, they don't make movies like this anymore. Because yeah. George I Lucas it, changed the game. Yeah. I was I, when we were watching it, I made the comment that like af- after having just watched Star Wars and then gone into this. I was just like, oh, this has a very nostalgic feel immediately. And that's not because it was like trying for nostalgia at the time. It's just we grew up in that time. And there was something about the very opening of the movie, how the pacing was, how we were moving like from home to city so quick. There was like, this was a time. This was how movies felt during this time. It was so. They're, film- they're filming on the street in New York. Yeah. In a post 9-11 world. Yeah, I think it was like, when you were saying like paparazzi everywhere, it was like they were looking for some good news or something. They were. Like. I, I'm, that's that's probably why they, they really pushed to do this in New York at the time, too. Yeah. You know, it's like mo- movies where like New York was portrayed positively, I'm sure were like really cathartic for people. Yeah. Like that's why Spider-Man was such a huge hit that year. Yeah. people needed joy. <laughs> that being said, one of the first things we saw, we said when we had that first like sky view coming in, the drone shot, we were like, I don't see towers. Yes, yeah, like those towers aren't there. <laughs> oh. uh, uh, apparently, the World Trade Center was visible in unused pre-production footage. That's like, what I, I assume, figured. I assume they went, you know, to do location scouting before mm-hmm. the attacks. Yeah. This is less than six months yeah. out from 9-11. Like the so. beginning of the the shooting, yeah. not just the... Yeah. So yeah. really, yeah, I, I bet you like the locals in the Bronx were like, yo, we need some joy yeah. and some excitement. 
So I'm glad it's that a positive happened. media attention. See, there, there are those are things they did excellently, right? You said you said there weren't it wasn't anything production. Val- yeah, the thing. I was like, oh, I watch this. Like, this feels like a movie. Yeah, <laughs> like, this doesn't feel like a stage play in a digital set. <laughs> you know, and like actors are talking very uh, uh, naturalistically, and uh, like they're there. And they're just you know they're human and, beings, right? You know, yeah. it was good. It was definitely yeah. a great change of place. Let's hear a little bit of that. So we're gonna meet our main character. What is her name? Charlotte. No. Marissa. Marissa Ventura and her son. TJ? Ty. Ty! Will I get in trouble if I didn't give my speech? Because I'm not really feeling it. What do you mean you're not feeling it? You've been working all summer on that speech. I can't wait to hear it. It's boring. Not to me. Or to Abuela, to your dad. I thought we were meeting him after. No way. He's coming and then you guys are going camping. Remember? It's gonna be late and then everyone will see you. Look, he knows what time it starts. Don't worry, he'll be there. Get a little bit revealed there in that clip. You know, Marissa's a, a working uh, single parent. Yep. Uh, her 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 husband's uh, I, I describe him as a deadbeat, but yeah. he's definitely not present and he's uh, unreliable. Yeah, he makes promises. Um, we can't say at this point if he keeps them or not, but give it five minutes. <laughs> And then young Ty is, I guess, nervous to do speeches, but he's like, I don't know, he's he's a pretty like bold kid. Yeah, you know, I think it's different, like talking to people on the street one on one, or like saying your stuff, but like being in front of a crowd, especially of people that are your quote unquote peers, and you have to go to school with them, and they can be real rough. Like speeches are hard. I can talk to like a person in the grocery store real quick and walk away because I I will never see you again. But I have to like get up in front of people at my company or do a, a meeting or something and I'm like they're like present this thing you should be knowledgeable about it so you're teaching us about it not dog I'm gonna be sick every day fire me <sighs> I'm sitting here like one uh this this child actor doesn't make me want to gouge my eyes out I or know make, or, you know sil- like destroy my eardrums or something he's so cute I was like he is a, a decent little kid actor uh and it's like the, the the oh I'm gonna give my speech and you know I don't want my dad to be late Kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. It reminded me of Jingle All the Way. <laughs> and uh, God bless Jake Lloyd. He tried. <laughs> he tries. But yeah, he is, you know, especially as Anakin Skywalker. The guy was, you know, poor kid was not very good. No. Uh, this this little boy here, Ty, uh, very good. Oh my gosh. I love him so much. He's so cute and adorable. I know I was annoying when we were watching it, but I was like, I want to pinch his cheeks. He's so cute. Tyler Posey is that child actor's name. Yes. Ty 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 Posey. <laughs> he is a I he is the actor the he plays Scott McCall in the Teen Wolf series. Oh, oh so by, he's grown up. Yes, he's an adult now. So like I keep going, he's so cute, realizing he's a grown man now and he's He's probably my age, honestly. He looks more or less the same. Like, honestly, it was just like, oh, it's just as a small human, I'm like, he's so cute. It's like cute aggression. And then, like, having not seen a lot of Jennifer Lopez movies, like I've seen Selena when I was a little kid, Mm -hmm. right? And so I I can't remember how well she was as an actress in Mm -hmm. that. But, like, the general consensus that I've thought was that she's horrible like she's not a good actress like like i i've heard about like geely being like the worst thing ever made Mm -hmm. you know or whatever and i'll watch this i was like no she's pretty good yeah she's she's, like she's totally fine she's a solid actress yeah she's better than a bunch of other pop stars turned actresses like she's totally fine yeah she and i think like depending on what the uh 
subject matter is, like what the script is, she does better and stuff. But yeah, like everybody has, it's like the Kristen Stewart thing where it's like, she's the worst act. No, Twilight just sucks. <laughs> you know, where I'm like, and you can take some, you can lose some. But yeah, no, she's a she's a good actress. I like her. Yeah, she's. I mean, she's given some like, I don't know, given some heft. Yeah, you know, she's playing a like a, a working class woman. Yeah, know, on the, you know, just, just out in life doing things, trying to make it all work. Right. Like I don't always love the projects she's a part of, but she does the thing. You know, like she definitely felt like a single mother just trying to make it work, um, and. That was good. <laughs> like that was good. Yeah. You you did the thing. And then, uh, by the way, I got an update. The mom text. Yeah. Uh, my mom says I have not seen that movie. <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. This would have been up her alley though. Yeah. 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 Cute. Uh, I mean, so there's a, there's, I guess there's a there's a pretty large cast, but none of the characters are like super important, uh, mm. other than one really yeah the romantic the other romantic lead yeah and uh the rest are just kind of like bit players yeah like, you know? like they're all likable people like john john hoskins in this movie mm -hmm. uh, uh eddie valiant himself yes he is uh the pseudo fairy godmother he oh yeah i oh i didn't really even think about that yeah, yeah. i guess he is his um, her friends are the three mice he's like the maitre d of the the hotel that she works yeah. at uh the head butler mm -hmm. and uh, he's I don't know if that's his actual accent, but like he, you know, he's more he's more English than he is in Roger Rabbit, that's for <laughs> sure, <laughs> or, or Super Mario. Yeah. Uh, and then like you know, there's just like a group of other maids that are her friends, but you know, they're, they're just... the mice. Gosh dang! What? I never like I'm like now I was like I, ne I didn't think to like <laughs> look to at it as an things. adaptation of, mm. of Cinderella like literally. Like, oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Oh thanks, I like to be right. <laughs> And then, uh, Stanley Tooch, <laughs> the, the Tooch, Stanley uh, Tucci is, uh, he's, he's, what is he? The monocled man from Cinderella? Yeah, I guess I would either. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah the yeah, king. Yeah, yeah. I would either say that, or he would be like, because Caroline, whom we haven't met yet would be like the stand in for the evil stepmother. Evil, yeah. Well, um, there's two step, there's like evil stepsisters, like really. Cause so, oh. uh, there's there's a whole lot there's mm -hmm. a lot okay but we'll we'll get there there's, there's <laughs> now two, that you're like I gotta unpack this. there's two guests at the hotel that are just kind of like they're Karens <laughs> you know yeah one's more of a Karen than the other but they're very much the evil stepsisters yeah you know yeah the the one that calls Marissa Maria for sure oh <laughs> yeah we don't stepsister. she's terrible <laughs> um yeah how about she said that? she doesn't even speak English. Ugh. Anyway, sorry. We we were meeting Marisa and Ty. We did that. Yeah, I, who who the other lead, the only other person really I need to introduce that's important. Charming. His name is Chris Marshall. <laughs> Senator candidate Chris Marshall. Quote, sentimental favorite Chris Marshall, blah, 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 son of the late Senator Grant Marshall, blah, 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 is expected to run for his father's senatorial seat in the next election. Unquote. That's it. Let me see that. Let me see it, Jerry. Come on, let me see it. You don't need to see it. You don't have No, I'm not giving you it. All right, fine. I hadn't finished it yet. Sentimental favorite and playboy political, Assemblyman Chris Marshall. Guess you missed a few words there, Jerry. What, playboy? That's a compliment. Who called off his engagement last week to Uber Babe. Daniela Von Grass arrives in town solo. Respectful, huh? Chris Marshall, played by uh, Ralph Fiennes, uh, Voldemort. Voldemort, indeed. A uh, young uh, uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Oh dear, yeah. young or old? Oh, he played the young Lawrence. Well, he he was he was Lawrence of Arabia in the TV film Dangerous Man. Ah. Uh... Which is pretty boring. <laughs> 
It's totally fine. It wasn't dangerous. No. <laughs> Do you like uh, you like guys going to the you know talking diplomacy at the world conference? Then that's then a movie. Star Wars. That's a movie for you. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like pina coladas? <laughs> um, so Chris Marshall is the uh, Republican Senate candidate with the heart of gold. <laughs> it's fictional. It's a fairy tale, all right. <laughs> and like he's that they they, they told you they told you right there. It's like you know this is one of those a failing of the screenplay. But mm. they told us not tell us. Yeah, they, they did not show us. They told us right. Um, a failing of both of the movies we watched. Yeah, like he's he's a. Playboy turned senator candidate trying to live up to his father. I mean, yep. And he's on the prowl. He's on he's the looking pr- for love. Some of those things were just incorrect things from gossip magazines. Yeah, that's true. Like he, he had broken off with his supermodel girlfriend. Yeah, they were fiance. They were affianced. And then she was like, I dated her like for two days. What do you mean we were engaged? So that's he's at the hotel that um, Marissa works Marissa at, works at mm-hmm. because he's kind of stationed there. It's his. Basically, they turned his hotel room into his campaign headquarters. Right. And so, you know, they're arranging meetings and media events, social events that Mm -hmm. he has to go to to, you know, curry favor with the New York elite. Yeah. As politicians do. As they indeed do. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) That those are the the players Mm -hmm. and the plot. Okay, we're gonna talk about the screenplay. All right. Uh, The story is very, very traditional. It's very cliche. Mm-hmm. If you want, it's at worst cliche. It's at best very traditional. <laughs> uh, predictable. Yeah. It is a. Uh, <laughs> it, it's one of those screenplays where you just see it. Everything you see, yeah. everything coming right away. And yeah. Like the the real scene where it starts is Marissa is in Caroline's room. Caroline, who's uh, another, is just a different guest. She's mm-hmm. like this rich. Uh, British lady. Yeah, her her nickname is Goddess in 105 or something like that. And they are cl- her Marissa and her friend. maid friend, <laughs> whose name is uh, her name is Stephanie. Uh, okay. So Marissa and Stephanie, both mm-hmm. maids, are cleaning Caroline's room while Caroline is away, and uh, Stephanie decides to bring out uh, Caroline. She raids her closet, really. As maids raids, are wont to do. Raids Caroline's closet and decides, mm-hmm. hey, let's try on these like fancy thousand know, dollar suits. Yeah. Oh my god. This stuff is five thousand dollars. For one white outfit? How do you keep it uh, clean? Scotch guard. Oh yeah. There are six. You're six. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? When shoes. Shoes. Size nine. Perfect. I'm a seven and a half. Which means you're an eight. Just put on some gym socks, you're good to go. That's it. Put this stuff back. What are you doing? Not till you try them on. I can't try on her clothes. They're not hers. They're not Dolce's. Technically, they've been abandoned. Oh, let's not let them hear us. Who, the clothes? Marissa, Ave, Maria, Ventura, when are you or I ever going to get to try on a $5,000 anything? Come on, feel how the other half feels. Huh? The sentimental music is not, uh, it's not working. Yeah. They're committing theft. Uh, having worked in security in, in places, I will say, uh, no, that, that's theft. That's a fireable offense. Kids, even, even, even trying on someone else's clothes. 
kids watching this with him because he had not seen it before. Nope. Most of these movies we like have already watched together um, years ago at this point. And so it's just freshing his memory. But uh, he has not seen this before. So it was great watching like one of the first scenes you meet um, the secure head of security that's literally watching all the CCTVs. The first thing he says like, ah, that's a horrible job. But everybody wants to be your friend because they want to look at the cameras. And then at every point stuff is happening. He's like, there's cameras. You're what are they doing? No, not I, okay. I was like, no, she's done. Like the, the <laughs> second she walks out of that hotel room with CCTV with an, a, a customer or a, a tenant's clothes on, yeah, she's done. She's fired. Yeah, like there's there's no there's no union help. There's nothing. She's this fired. Goes from working girl to unemployed girl. Yeah, like and that's the thing. It's like I, <laughs> the security guard in this freaking movie like he you could tell he really likes marissa like she's yeah. well like she's beloved at the workplace like yeah she's just like you know very respected yeah uh but like i can feel for this guy's like man i really respect you and i don't want to have to turn you in but like ethically i have to yeah because he definitely sees it <laughs> rod was like nah he needs to be fired he's not doing his job i don't think he needs to be fired but he should definitely reprimanded. be reprimanded for yeah not yeah. not pursuing that yeah um anyway th that's <laughs> we're not there yet <laughs> yeah carol the second the proposition happens where steph says hey put on this woman's clothes and i look at you as like is this a cinderella thing <laughs> <laughs> and i was like yep <laughs> and then i was like all right i know exactly where this movie's going because at the very same point in the movie she's trying on caroline's you know fancy clothes mm -hmm. young ty is at the hotel and he's sharing an elevator with uh, Chris Marshall, <laughs> Senator Chris Marshall. And I was like, oh, I, I, I totally, I see it all coming. <laughs> I, I, Ty's going to run in and, you know, see his mom dressed fancy. And he, Chris Marshall's going to meet uh, Marissa, think she's a rich woman staying at the hotel. And it's going to be a, you know, can she live out the lie type movie? Right. I was like, I see the whole movie coming. Yeah, you do. The whole thing. I see it. We got the meat cute here. It's uh, for you, ma'am. What are you talking about? Ty, don't you? Hey, Ma, this is Chris. He's got a giant gray dog named Rufus. And if you say okay, I'm going to go walk with him, okay? Hello. Hi. Let's not forget, I'm a kid and I need fresh air. Please, can I go, Mom? Please, please. I'm Chris Marshall. Caroline. You want your coat? What? The weather could be so tricky here. Weren't you just saying what a beautiful day it was? Oh, you're going out? Weren't you saying how you wanted to stretch your legs? Yeah. Well, uh, if your husband wouldn't mind, um... She doesn't have a husband. I don't have a husband. Well, I insist then. Come with us, if you're free. Yeah. Come on, Mom, let's go. <laughs> She's gonna spend the day with this man pretending to be someone else named Caroline. I know this is the meet cute, but I just need to talk a second to say Steph is a bad friend. Yes. Oh, absolutely. She's not a good. She is not. She's no bad yeah. friend. Yeah, that is like, I think her heart's in the right place, but that is uh, extremely irresponsible from everyone involved. Yeah. This, like I said, the second she leaves that hotel room, she's she's fired. Like, yeah. She shouldn't have like. It would have been like, he saw her and does it. Okay, Ty. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I will meet you out. Out. Go. Go ahead. Or no, Ty. You can't. I'm sorry. Maybe tomorrow or something like that. And then let that man leave. Get out of these clothes. Go. Like. Ugh. Uh. <laughs> yep. Anyway, so she indulges in herself a little bit. She she goes out and 
hangs out with this, you know, sexy Republican candidate, <laughs> and uh, they they spend time in the park, and it's it's, it's, it's the whole movie is completely like it's ready. It, for it's you. written yeah. itself, <laughs> literally. Like I, I was like I, I could t- I was talking to you. I was like, all right, so you know they're gonna have their their uh, rendezvous, mm-hmm. you know, and they're gonna he's gonna like she's gonna run off and he's gonna say. Oh, I, I need to find this woman. I need mm-hmm. to find out where she is. It's like, you know, th- there's going to be, I called it <laughs> uh, sitcom hijinks <laughs> because she's going to be put in positions where she's trying to play both lives. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh man, we're going to get a freaking, it takes two moment <laughs> where the, someone's pretending to be someone different and it, that it happens. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a mix up with a letter. There it, uh- <laughs> what, what happens? Um, he's like, I need to see her again. She just ditched me and took her son after we had a connection at the park at some point. Um, hey, Matri- Fairy Godmother, take this note to Caroline in this room number. Uh, and it's, I just want to have lunch with her. Yeah, I'm going to v- invite this woman to lunch. So the butler sends a letter to the real Caroline <laughs> in her room where she stays. Yes. I have a message from Mr. Christopher Marshall. Christopher Marshall? As in Christopher Marshall? He's staying in the York Suite. I was wondering if you had any response to the luncheon invitation I placed in your room yesterday. We're through. We're done. Thank you. In my room? I have to charge you for the full hour. Yesterday. Fine. For lunch? For two. Get out! Where? In his suite. This is a miracle. Shall I give him an answer? Yes. Tell him yes. What time? 1 p.m. She'll be there. Thank you. When did this go down? I met a sting in Southampton last summer. I thought we had a moment. Can you steal, steal away an hour, please? What do you think he saw you in the hall? Who cares? They're your your fair or your evil stepsisters, right yeah. there, both of those women. But yeah, it's a whole mix-up, and I was like, oh gosh, <laughs> it's gonna be cringy. And guess what? It wasn't. Guess what? Marissa has to be the maid who's like serving this, you know, uh, this dinner this for two lunch. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a whole thing. And I was like, oh, I know exactly how this scene's going to go. She's going to try to hide her face and, you know, all that junk. And she's going to succeed. And it's, it's going to go painlessly. Like literally like the screenwriter, like he, he phoned ha- it in. Yeah. He f- you don't have to phone it in. Like the movie writes itself. Like it's mm. just like tale as old as time. This is like the easiest screenplay to write. I could write this <laughs> in a tomorrow, like tomorrow. And you would never. I have more. I have more pride than that. <laughs> Honestly, it's like very hijinksy. I think when I was younger, I was watching it. It's very like a simplistic. This makes sense for like the age I was watching this, right? Like it was very much like a cute, clean little romance without the like stuff that I like now. That's just kind of like, Hey, we're hurt people. We got to figure out how to like live together with our trauma. If we really want to make this work because love is work. This is just mm, happenstance and magic. You know, there's no actual magic in this movie kids, but like, yeah, like you could see it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty by the numbers kids. It's pretty diet cola. Yeah. Gross. (laughs) It's like, yeah. Low calorie kind of thing. And yeah, like it's exactly what you would expect to happen. Like at that point, the uh, butler finds out because it's really hard not to find out at that point. And um, Bob Hoskin, he's a you know, he, he's, he's, a, he's a wise one. 
And um, I don't I don't know how much of the plot we really want to talk like, about. Like, you know, she gets the ultimatum. Like, you don't have to like even guess. It's like you need to call this off if you really want to be the assistant manager of yeah. this hotel. That kind of thing. It's because she's. It's the whole like you need to come clean. Mm-hmm. You know, but she's. You know, she she wants to. She wants to do the right thing, but it's and it's not even that she's being asked to come clean. It's end it, end whatever it is. Don't yeah. come clean because that's going to look bad on our hotel. <laughs> I just realized both of our movies involve a love affair with a senator. Oh, no. <laughs> Mine was better. I'm a senator. <laughs> no, I don't want to talk about that movie anymore. But um, th- th- it's the whole like work versus relationship mm-hmm. dynamic, you know, right. what, what Padme was dealing with. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a senator. <laughs> Are you truly interested in management? Yes, very much, sir. And I suggest that you go to the Met tonight and end all association with Chris Marshall. At least until you're a manager. Then you can make your own rules. I'll make sure your shift is covered. She's going to go to the ball and call it off with that man. Yep. She's not, though. You got to watch the movie to find out what happens. Yeah. I will say, like, if we're talking about adaption, like how we change a classic story, I think it's interesting um, that it's not just go like Steph going like, look, you have the chance to have fun. Like that old tune again, like just do it. Just go have fun. You deserve this. It's rather like her boss um, being like, go and end this thing entirely. Like not not just like. Hey, give write a letter to me so I can hand to him and be like, it's it's done, right? Like the reason for going to the ball is to end it rather than to perpetuate. Yeah, like be this. a grown up here. Yeah, and so it's like well, that's a that's an interesting call, like story wise, because this isn't necessarily the only Cinderella. It's far from the only Cinderella retelling of when the prince and sorry, yeah, meets Cinderella before the ball, right? Like I feel like Disney's cartoon. From the 50s? 50, 1950. Uh, the 1950 cartoon, uh, the prince isn't there until the the ball scene, and then yeah. he cares, right? Yeah. And most of my favorite, more favorite adaptions, like uh, Once Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, no. <laughs> like Once Upon a Time with Drew Barrymore, like they meet before, they have interactions before, which makes, in my opinion, it makes it better for the romantic element. So it's not just like, you're beautiful. You're the most beautiful thing here. Let's do it. You know, like, um, yes. <laughs> yeah. And do uh, you get the, like, I was like, the scene is coming. The one where it was like, end of act two, there's mm-hmm. going to be a come clean moment mm-hmm. where she's going to get caught in the lie and it's all going to come out. And Ralph Fiennes is going to be like, how could you do this to me? You know, <laughs> like I was like, it's all coming. I could see it like a mile away. I was like, I know exactly how act two is going to end. And mm-hmm. it ended exactly the way I thought it was going to do it. Oh, Chris, I'm terribly sorry to interrupt your busy morning, but we thought you should know what was going on as soon as possible. What is going on? The woman you thought was a guest on this floor is the maid on this floor. Aren't you, Marissa? Oh, wait, wait. Her name is Caroline. No, Chris, darling, that's my name. She steals clothes, identities. What, what the hell's happening here? <laughs> Why are you dressed that way? <laughs> it's like, the, it's so... Why are you dressed like the help? It's so traditional. Yeah... Though I will say, even though you're like, I saw it coming. Did you expect his reaction the way he... He took it like a champ. 
Yeah. You know, he, he was a little less like, I, I can't see myself with you. You know, it's like, yeah. how could you do that? You know, he, he didn't quite like, he didn't dismiss it outright. He yeah. was a little flustered, but I think she was more bothered than he was. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, that, that was a little surprising. But yeah. it, but it's like the exact scene that I was expecting mm -hmm. to happen, even this. I, I don't get it. What just happened? What don't you get? I'm the maid. Well, what was all this? Some kind of, some kind of bet? A little game of what? Get the guests? No. Look, I was trying on her clothes, and then you were there, and then you invited me out, and everything else. Well, and you, you thought you had to lie to keep me interested? Who's kidding who here? You think you would have taken a second look at me if you knew I was the maid? Well, come on. With all due respect for your big-hearted politics, I don't think so, Mr. Well, Assemblyman. Well, how would you know? You didn't give me a chance. You stand on your soapbox, judging everyone, so sure that they're judging you. And you think they're not? some stereotype that they're making fun of. The other half of the time, I'm just invisible. You know what? Maybe that's the point. The first time you saw me, I was cleaning your bathroom floor, only you didn't see me. Well, what was I supposed to introduce myself when I'm taking a leak? Come on, you can't nail me for that. That's, that's it. Yeah. Though, how he said that, he was like, what was I supposed to do? Introduce myself while you're taking a leak? I was like, you could have at least recognized her. Yeah. You saying that makes it seem like you recognized her the whole time, but you didn't, you know? Anyway. And and this whole scene is like, you know, she's she's lost the man. She's yeah. lost her job. You she's know, lost she's... the shoe. I'm kidding. <laughs> that, that, yeah, really. You know, so I was like, okay, yeah. This And then, and then there's going to be a, a real a revelation at the end or like not a revelation, but like a realization mm -hmm. that, uh, oh, you know, we should we should just be together. And she's going to be like, let's. You know, hi, you know, nice to meet you. I'm Marissa. You know, start mm. over type. Deal. I was like, yep, it's it's, it's all <laughs> it's all it's all there. the same. <laughs> it's all the same. But uh, I, I did. OK, so the, the come clean moment, I think that that'll wrap up our discussion about the, the story in general, yeah. the screenplay. You know? Yeah. Uh, but I want to talk about the romance. OK. OK, because uh, funny. Enough, this is probably the only time ever in media made history where both of our films are romances, yeah. like which is, you know. I was like, I was like, oh wow, okay, we could really talk about how how film love stories can work, you know. So let's <laughs> or not work, let's or talk, not be a love story at all. Let's introduce some romance. All right, you want the truth? There was a part of me that wanted to see what it felt like to have someone like you look at me the way you did just once. And I'm sorry, truly. If I could rewind the past week, I would. Was any of it real? Yeah, it was real. And that's what I want to investigate. Was it real? Mm -hmm. Was what they felt real? I don't know. Let's they, check the script. They, they, they knew each other like three days. <laughs> Feels like a Disney romance. <laughs> so, the romance mm -hmm. plot. I, okay, like to answer your question off the bat, I don't think it was, here's the thing. Can people fall in love in th three days? Sure. 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 Um, I think they definitely had attraction and liked each other, like genuinely liked each other as people and they can definitely build on that. Yeah, like, I mean, okay. Uh, some reviews say that uh, Jennifer Lopez and Ralph Fiennes had no chemistry together. Mm -hmm. I was like, they had one, maybe it's because we came off of Star Wars. <laughs> they had more chemistry than... Hayden and absolutely and, and, and uh, Natalie did yeah but like I was like I can't say exactly they had like like 
electric chemistry. No, they didn't. You know? Like they, I was like, they, yeah, I was like, they seemed amicable. Yeah, I think like going by words and actions, not necessarily like hot eyes on the screen. Ew. There, there's de- like, I. It seems like that's what their relationship is built on. It's like we are both attracted to each other. Yeah, you know, we are both young, attractive people attracted to each other. Right. And I think, like, I think that's what the story wants to be. But it's, like, it is weird because I don't, like, thinking through it, I was like, yeah, I don't necessarily feel that that between the two actors. But, like, what's on the page and what's on the screen of them, like, moving through their lives uh, in these days that they met each other, they do have, like, conver- right? Like, there's, you would say, like, the first moment he sees her in, um... Caroline's room. He's like, oh, hubba, hubba. yeah, right. He's struck dumb a little bit. Like, hi, I'm Chris. Do you, you were going to go out so I can like, it still feels a little stiff. Just the act, not, you know, the yeah. there, but you could tell like that was the purpose of it. Right. And then them being out and it's like kind of more comfortable. I even want to say like, uh, Jennifer Lopez was like even more comfortable just walking around. Like as much as we were like walking in the previous section, this one like had a point. At least they're walking in a real location. They're walking (laughs) in a real location and they're interacting with stuff. And like, she's like watching her son and moving around and like staying there and like being aware of stuff. And like her doing all those things made it feel more natural. And she's like taking moments to actually engage with him. She's just like looking at my son, covering my eyes because of stuff, making sure nothing touched my white, white, very expensive $5,000 suit that I need to return to Caroline's office. What, what did you just say? Okay. I'm engaging with that. Wait, where's my son again? Like it made it feel like more legitimate. And so I think in that, right, that he was catching her attention. She was, and he was trying to, and then when they sat down, they really did have this talk. Um, And that in moments when he would say something and she'd like "Mm," politely, like not say anything. And he'd obviously see like, do you have, thoughts on my political statement um and him listening to her and engaging having banter and back and forth in that not saying something like i don't know maybe we should just all sit down and um (laughs) agree on you know people should be made to agree (laughs) you know and so i think in that right like in those moments um it felt obviously more like building in a, a relationship building on an attraction that was supposed to be there it's impossible not to compare this to Star Wars, considering mm-hmm. we just talked about it. Yeah. But in comparison to Star Wars, Anakin and Padme's relationship, like they they have like they don't talk about things. Like there's yeah. no like exchange of ideas. It's just like, you know, it's like they're having two different conversations, you know. Yeah. Um, and like even on a character level, like it seems like Anakin is very uninterested in anything Padme has to say or think about, you know, mm-hmm. like he's very just self-centered it's all about him right at the very like i feel like you talked about they you know the uh marissa and chris marshall (laughs) have conversations and it seems like they're both genuinely interested in what the other person has to say right uh and chris marshall is actually pretty thoughtful and and considerate right and i you know here's here's an example of just their conversation with each other as they take a walk okay they're walking their dog ty seems like a terrific kid Thanks. (laughs) Kind of crazy about him. I've never met a a 10-year-old Nixon aficionado. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Uh, Last year, they studied the 70s at school, and he's become obsessed with the politics, the music. Last month, he was reading the Kissinger biography. (laughs) You're kidding. No. I'm waiting for him to discover another decade. Until then, I'm learning a lot. 
Well, you know, I think it's great. You do? Yeah, I do. I don't know. It's just like he's complimenting her. You know, he's talking about her kid. He's, you know, uh, there's just like it's like it's more than small talk, you know. Yeah. And it's definitely more than like whatever Anakin was doing. Right. I think like it's that is the hugest thing because you were pointing it out when we were talking about Star Wars that every conversation that Padme would start about like this mission that they're on, about the stuff. Legislation. He, he would turn it into a thing about him or complaining about his boss or different things like this. Like this man is like, I see these things in your life. Uh, let me talk about them. I, oh, what else do you have going on in your life? Let me talk. I want to get to know you more yeah. um, than anything else. And yeah, I'll talk about myself a little bit, but like a lot of stuff about me is out there. And if you want to know something, definitely ask and we can engage in that. But I, I'm really interested. You know, like she isn't, she was like, oh, that man's attractive, but she is not interested in him in this first meeting. She is interested in getting back <laughs> and and hiding her crime. Yeah. You know, um, but that he isn't like, why aren't you paying attention to me? Don't you know I'm rich? <laughs> you know, like, don't you know I'm I'm this or that? Is she, he's like, I, Tell I, me more about me. Yeah, you know? What else do you like about me? Like, he's not doing any of that. Yeah, and then on top of that, right? Like, yeah, she's hot. But he was really engaged with the kid. Like, he was like, this kid is so funny. And he knows a lot about politics. He's just, like, talking to me in an elevator about my voting record. I love this kid. Hey, can I go ask my mom if we can go and walk your dog together? And yes, absolutely. Let's get your mom's permission because this is a blast. I love this. And probably in the back of his mind, it would be great to be seen in pictures walking with a random kid because uh, a yeah. random ethnic kid, it would be great for voting and my image. It goes up and goes, wubba wubba, woman's hot. But he was already interested in like... You know, I mean, that sounds weird. I don't know. Like, but it, 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 there's definitely just engagement. Like, oh, you really, you really think so? Oh, yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know, I don't know. Like, it seems very heartfelt, you know? Yeah. Uh, a little, little bubbly, a little sappy, <laughs> but, you know, at least it's not deadpan and just off putting. Mm. Uh, and I like the, the little subplot where, okay, so we know that Ty gives speeches at school and he's nervous, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, who better to learn from than a politician who has to give speeches for a living, right? And there's like a nice little exchange between the two of them where he, you know, he t one takes an interest in Marissa, what Marissa says and says, yeah, Ty has to give speeches at school and he gets nervous. You know, it's like, well, how about I be a, a good person and, you know, give this little kid some confidence. Mm -hmm. You know, when I come here most is when I have to make a speech and I get nervous. You get nervous? Sure. Sure. You see that? I don't know about you, but sometimes when I have to stand up in front of people, my heart, it kind of races and I, I can't remember my words. Same here, I know. Really? Same with you? Yeah. Wow. Well, in my business, it's not a good thing, right? Well, what do you do? What do I do? Hey, I'll show you something. I was like, that, that's a that's a winning thing for a single mom, right? Yeah. It's like you gotta be you gotta be prove that you're good with kids. Yeah. You, know, you got like that fatherly role. You gotta be prove that you're good with my kid. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, you gotta have that. But not a creep. <laughs> <laughs> not in a creepy clown way. Yeah. It's gotta be good with kids, but not a creepy clown way. That's a that's a that's a line from the Attack of the Clones uh, red letter media review. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Attack of the Clowns. Attack of the Clowns. <laughs> <laughs> Because Anakin is not good with kids. No. In fact, he murders them. Oh, no. 
Yeah, I think you're though, like in context of this movie, he's doing a good, yeah, like he's hitting all the good things. And then like the best thing about that scene is he's not looking at the mom, like not checking. Yeah. Do you see this me? isn't Do brownie points? Do? Like yeah. it's usually legitimate. Legitimately like, yo, bro, I have that problem too. And I I genuinely think you're such a neat kid. I want to help you because it seems like you have a lot to say. And he's doing it as a favor to Marissa. I think, you know, he's being considerate and thoughtful. Like yeah. she says, oh, yeah, this is something he struggles with. He's yeah. like, oh, how about I step in and try to help him out? You yeah. Know? You know, and I'm like, all right, cool. This this is what this is what a romance looks like, George. Yeah. This is how you write dialogue for the, you know, and, and, and this is how you develop characters that are in love, George. George. I also want to know, though. Um... Did he? I can't remember. Did he at any point go like, uh, "Yeah, what about what about your husband? His dad." That was in the in the, in the meet cute. Okay. Yeah, he's like, I, as long as your husband doesn't mind. Okay. And, I then, and then little Ty goes, "He doesn't have a husband, or she doesn't have a husband." <laughs> Shut up, Tyler. <laughs> oh gosh, but yeah, I think that um, the only thing that I would change, and not like overtly change, right? Like, but we're talking about like um, the thing that I would add to this to make it more of a solid romance is like having seeing more of her having conversations with friends like trusted friends about this because this yeah. is a very isolating weird thing I've, I've got I've in. got one at the end that I'll mm. share <laughs> but yeah like that that's that is one thing that's a little weird is uh well I don't know it's like there are some characters bring it up like you know realistically it's like you you barely don't know this man yeah. you know like and it's true. I think that's the the failing of the movie is like they know each other for so little. Yeah. And they're just so in love. Yeah. You know? I, I Do they say love? Do they say it? Because I just They had something. something. Yeah. Special. They definitely have something, right? Like I'm not going to say it's love because I don't think it is, but I think it is the potential for something. Um, but I could see as a friend, right? Being like, okay, I believe you have a potential for something, but do you? You also have a potential for a higher paying job as a single mom living in New York where everything is as expensive. I was going to say as expensive as California. It's far more expensive. Heck, I'm just going to play that clip right now. Go ahead. What happened? You can still be a manager, right? Yeah, if I break it off with Chris. Break what off? No offense, sweetheart. What planet are you on? You don't get it. You know, none of you get it. There was just something different about him. Yeah, it's called money. Mm-hmm. No, it's called... Please don't say love. Please, please, please God, don't let us say love. love. We connected, you know? I, I felt it. Ty felt it, too. Snap out of it, all right? You are not in love with this man. He's not in love with you. You have no connections, affiliations, or loyalties. You're from two different worlds. Do you hear me? I hear you. Me too. And you've only known him for a day. I mean, spot the lie. I, I mean, like, Steph, this is your fault. <laughs> Steph, this is your fault yelling at you. have no connections, affiliations, or nothing. Steph, this is your fault. You did this. You did this. You said... Friend, I think you need to get out there and tap some. I need you to get out there and date. You got to live a little. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not the direction of living I wanted you to go. Shut up. Yeah, that was like this real flip-flop there from Stephanie. Yeah. And the girls. <laughs> Just kind of. Uh, it's because like we want. Uh, and and that thing, that's the thing that like was like, I think I wanted to talk about friendship in this too. Like that drove me crazy because I was like, ah, those are not friends. One, you push her in this situation when she said no several times and you, I don't know how you got her in those clothes, but it happened, whatever. But like, because you thought what was best for her is to like live her life in this way. Just 
hire a babysitter for her and take her out on the town. Like, what are you doing? One. But now what's best for her is for her to get this job, which yes, it is. But because it, it will directly influence your life to be better because if she's a manager, then you and your crowd get some up because you guys are friends, right? Like it's even though, right? Like the truth is, yeah, she really does need to drop this man, maybe reconnect with him. And another time when she's in a more stable position in her life, even like come clean. Yeah. That's the right thing to do. Even like John Hoskins had said like, Hey, cut this out. When you become a manager, these rules don't necessarily apply to you anymore wait six months (laughs) like and you're gonna be in a position to like have this be fine and not like risk your livelihood all this is right but those are not the reasons that steph is up here steph is like this is for my good you know like uh, (laughs) uh at least it sounds like that she's just so much i mean we can transition into the like what i guess I consider the the working class themes of yeah. the movie because that relates back to Steph's role in the in the, in the story, her, mm-hmm. you know, their friendship, and then uh, you know just the struggles of being a, a, a maid in Manhattan. Yeah, you know, uh, like so. Just to put a pin in the uh, or to to wrap up the, mm-hmm. the romance talk, was it real? Yeah, <laughs> the romance yeah. was real. Was it effective? Oh, eh, eh. <laughs> I was like, there's brownie points. Like, there's there's a solid, you know, there's there's some there's there's more positives in this love story than there are in Star Wars. Uh, yeah, yeah. It is a better love story than Twilight. It's yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> How do like I'm like thinking back, like trying to compare it like to some of the best love stories that are like most really like realistic mm-hmm. love stories in cinema history, right? And it's like I point to like Annie Hall. You know, this is no mm, Annie Hall. No. This is no Oof. Silver Linings Playbook. Annie Hall is This so is no good. Jackie Brown. I don't like either of the other two movies you said. You don't like Jackie Brown? <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> You're so cute. I hate Silver Linings Playbook, though. <laughs> either way, you know, that that's a realistic relationship. Mm, yeah. That's how real people talk to each other. Yeah. Fall in love. Yeah, and uh, that's that. That's nowhere near. They're but you know, Ralph Fiennes, he does a fine job. Yeah, Ralph Fine. <laughs> Ralph, Ralph Fine job, well done. Ralph Fine job done. Yeah, you know, and and I, I bet you, if these people had you know gone on a few more dates together and you know actually like had a friendship, yeah, you know, and knew each other a bit more, and they weren't lying to each other, uh, you know, It'd be better. Maybe maybe this could have been a real relationship somewhere yeah. in, in the world. <laughs> so, but yeah, I was like. It's 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 like it it looks like you know a million times better in comparison to Star yeah. Wars. Yeah, I think that's absolutely. the main thing. But it's like yeah, you know, it's it's pretty standard Hollywood romance story. Agreed. So this 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 working class plot where right. uh, a maid from Manhattan is a working girl doing the nine to five mm-hmm. on the streets of New York. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it's interesting. Okay, just that. Slightly adaption. I don't want to. It's like that it's, she's not beholden to anyone. She is very individual, independent. She's very, this Cinderella is very independent, as independent as you can be when you're in a capitalist regime. (laughs) Yeah. But working in the 2000s in New York. Like, I I think that's where the movie uh, succeeds the best Mm -hmm. is uh, it portraying like just what it's like to be a single mother doing a very like, working class job you know like mm-hmm. in the service industry uh you know with all the disrespect that comes with that you know yeah 
it's, it's pretty honest, you know, and I feel like that's that's my favorite part of the movie. And it's what I identified with the most, you know. That's true. <laughs> um, like, so we're, when she gets to work, we learn that uh, the, the current assistant manager has left, right? And mm-hmm. they, they're looking to fill the position. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of something that Marissa is interested in. Yeah. You know what I just heard? Christina, history after the first. Christina Kitchen or Christina assistant manager? Assistant manager, and you know what that means? Yeah, it means somebody else is gonna be busting my ass on the second. Wrong. It means we're gonna need a new assistant manager. Hey, Marissa, you here? Can I finish getting dressed, please? Thank you. You're the one who keeps talking about being a manager. All I'm saying is, it could be you. Give me a break, all right? They're not gonna make a maid a manager. Why not? Today's a new day. Anything's possible. You know what I'm saying? Just being realistic. Yeah. Though I don't know why a maid can't be manager. I mean, and that, that's the thing. It's like they you learn later on that uh, like uh, Marissa is so well respected at this hotel. It's like no, we we would like to promote that woman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you hear it like they're they're like in the locker room like getting mm-hmm. ready, and you, you see a lot of the like behind the scenes stuff of the service industry in hotels you know it's like what what life really is like to be a maid mm-hmm. like it seems it seems pretty genuine you yeah know? true to life like what it's like behind the walls at these really fancy swanky hotels you know like mm-hmm. uh you see them like taking inventory of like things like toilet paper and mm-hmm. sanitizers and soaps and <laughs> shampoos right like they're filling bins up and taking inventory and i was like that looks real that looks like that's that's actually what happens you know <laughs> like you go to the storeroom you take inventory you take stock you take what you need for your wing Floor, yeah. of, the, of the hotel that's pretty legit yeah and, and like i said i identified with the security folks because you see their cctv set up mm-hmm. you know they you see the security room um they have like pre meetings mm-hmm. every morning, yeah. which is like, listen, I worked at a parcel company for a long time. Like that is so service industry. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. that's exactly what you. I'm sure. Yeah, you, you worked in a kitchen and stuff. Like mm-hmm. that stuff happened where like the manager gathered everybody before the shift and. Yeah, it was like so. This is what we're doing. This is what is on the menu for the specials. Like this is the new thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's like here's here's the safety tip of the day. All that stuff. You know. Yeah. Here's the the quote of the day. It's legit. It it's yeah. So it did again feel really real. This felt the movie felt real and lived in. Right, and uh, I don't. Know, you want to talk about because uh, not only is Marissa a working class woman in Manhattan, she is a working class Puerto Rican woman. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about the minority focus or like talk more about the assistant manager position? No, go ahead, white man. Talk about the minorities. I, I just, I'm like, <laughs> it doesn't do a lot, but yeah. they also don't shy away from the fact that Marissa is a uh, uh, a woman of color yeah. working this job either. You know, yeah. so I have like, like she she experiences a little bit of prejudice, mm. a little bit of stereotyping. She mentions it when she told Ralph finds on. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the, it's done really well. Um, I've never lived in New York and I am not a Puerto Rican woman. Nor do I have a Puerto Rican mother. But <laughs> I think uh, it does a really good job. Like, there are moments where she is having conversations with the senator. Uh, and the senator's like, yeah, we're going to do a, a charity thing. We're going to go down to the projects. And she's like, why are you going to the projects? To bring 
I don't know, because we are. I have it. I have the cloak. Good. No, we have to go, but you have to give a speech. You're going to be late. Yeah. Okay. In the Bronx? Uh huh. On what? Uh, housing projects. Really? You're telling people in the Bronx about the projects? No, I'm just going to take the press up there and you know shine some light on the living conditions. You know? Interesting. Yeah, we think so. All right, shall we? Okay. What are you not saying? Nothing. Tell me. Maybe you both should spend some real time in the projects, and then you wouldn't have to make up speeches and then have to memorize them. You know, it'd be coming from someplace real. How would you know? Because I grew up there. I lived in a four-block radius my whole life. And so there are moments like that. And I think there it's it's still one of those things where you're seeing I don't you're I don't again, we don't live in New York. We but you are seeing a side of Bronx, this is true. You're not seeing necessarily all of it because that's not the movie that we're mm-hmm. we're we're shooting. But like I think that even in all of all of this stuff, that it's not just like the location, right? Like where you're talking about how she um were you talking about how she feels like and is like racially like maligned sometimes you also kind of see how like her upbringing affects her as well in a lot of different ways when even though she is being considered for this uh, assistant manager job it's not because she applied for it uh because she didn't think that she should that she was worth worthy of it that she could even though like People have been like, do this. This is great. You absolutely can. You're like running things already. She would, you see her have a conversation with her mother later. She's like, you're always in my head telling me that I'm not good enough for this, right? Like that this is the place I belong and I shouldn't try to reach to do anything more than that. And kind of having, like, it does a good job. It does an okay job because it's definitely not like one of the movies I watched that really delve in it. But it does a job of kind of showing not just the like oh i am far poorer than the people i work for um but the like the difference between like how our families interact and how we take care of each other kind of thing does that make sense it does and then regarding her mom her mom is i i can't relate to what her mom is dealing with Mm -hmm. you 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 did bring it up there's a scene where like uh she talks uh uh, marissa talks about wanting to maybe go into management Mm -hmm. and her mom is like i guess being realistic about it she's just like "Mm." she doesn't even say anything but she gives the impression that it's like why don't even bother yeah and i was like is that realistic yeah (laughs) i think so it it's not stated or anything right like but i think you can maybe a little bit infer that marissa is first generation born in america yeah i i I believe that so it's her mom's experience that you shouldn't try to do more than the place you are served in this community in this city and if she's looking to protect her daughter from fallout that she may have like faced because she tried to go quote unquote above her station like it's definitely within like like it's realistic right yeah it's not necessarily nice but it's realistic in the like, see, this is what you get for trying to be more. That's not for people like us. What were you thinking going out with someone like that? Someone like what? Chris Marshall. You had to pretend to be somebody else so that he would go out with you? 
Where is your pride, Marisa? People like you make people like him some kind of god. Why? Because he's rich? He's white? He has things that we don't have that we don't even want to dream about? It must really burn you that I think I have the right to go out with him. You don't. Know your place, Marissa. I, I, I've, I've watched this scene. I was just like, man, Mom, of all people, you should be the one who's supporting me. Like, you know, be the most supportive. Yeah, I think, like, it is realistic. I, I think that Melissa's... Melissa. I think that <laughs> Marissa... I think that Marissa's being a little unfair to her mom. She's not incorrect right but her saying it must really burn you to to think that i think i'm like worthy, worthy yeah. of this and i think that's unfair right like i i think that she probably wants a lot for her daughter but she doesn't like she's already seen her daughter try things that have failed and hurt her right like her relationship with her ex um and different things and in her mind she's like it's wrong but in her mind she's she's saying this like i want to temper your expectations to reality so that you aren't flying with wax wings to the sun you know yep what happened to you don't speak to me like that i am not the one who lost her job today no i did mm -hmm. i messed up okay it's all my fault but you know what? It's all right. I'm going to be fine. Yes, you will, because tomorrow we're going to call Senora Rodriguez. She owes me a favor. She has Luma, a... Luma, I'm not calling Mrs. Rodriguez, okay? I love you. Okay, I do. But I don't want to clean houses. There's nowhere to go from there. Hasn't this taught you anything, Marisa? Wake up, little girl. You have responsibilities. And they come every month like clockwork. You want to end up back in the projects? Keep dreaming dreams that will never happen. You want to put food on the table? Call Senora Rodriguez. I think they're both being a little uh, uh, irrational here. Yeah. They're both like, one, mom, don't don't tell your daughter not to follow her dreams, you know, or like have hope. It's like, she, you're, you're right. Mm -hmm. She has responsibilities. And that's why I was like, I was like, yo, Marissa, if you're, if you're struggling, maybe you should call Senora Rodriguez. Until you find another Yeah, position. I was like, you know, I was like, see each other's side here? Mm -hmm. this, this seems a little weird. Yeah. I was like, I understand where it's coming from. You know, and I, I was like, I appreciate that they're kind of, you know, making this a more complex issue than, mm. than it could have been. Yeah. I think it's the wrong movie for it, but uh, it, it probably needed to go a little harder there because you are not a woman with a mother. But, nope. but like when you get to this point where you guys cannot hear each other, it doesn't matter. It like this is a this turns into an all out drag out fight where it's just kind of like you're not hearing me. I'm not going to do that. Well, you're like and then mom, you're you have responsibilities. You have a child to feed and you're just going to do this. No, I'm going to find another job. Who would take you after you've done something like that? Well, why would miss it? Like it would be. It's all in the papers. Yeah. You know, um, right? Seriously, it would be. So I think that this is realistic, like that the fact that they are go that they are both being like irrational and not having a conversation about this is so realistic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I the only other scene I want to talk about regarding this theme is uh, a confrontation between, uh, and you you hinted at it, Marissa and Stephanie, because Stephanie. Knowing that Marissa would do really well as an assistant manager, she's the one who applied on her behalf yeah. without telling her. Yeah. But that, 
And and you get this. I, I was like, this is my favorite scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. You get this confrontation between the two, and they're both like talking about like their place, mm-hmm. you know, and what it would mean if a maid became an assistant manager. Yeah. Steph, where are you? I know you're in here. Oh, don't tell me you're busted. No, you are. You know what? You had no right. What are you talking about? You filled out an application for me? Ah, they're considering you. Yes, do you know what you've done? I did you a favor. No, if you want to do me a favor, then you mind your freaking business once in a while. (laughs) The accent's coming out. Yeah. Like her her New Yorker. (laughs) Real coming out. Uh, And and, and what, what Stephanie says in response to this rocks. For two years, you've been yapping about getting out of uniform and what ideas you got, etc. This morning, I'm having coffee with Rosalie from personnel, and I ask her, I go, Marissa got a shot? She goes, Marissa who? I go, Marissa Ventura. She's applied. And she goes, if she applied, I'd slip it to the top of the pie. You know what I'm saying? So I just act real nonchalant-like, and I go, uh, are you sure? So she goes, she double-checks, and she tells me, Marissa Ventura ain't never applied for no management program ever. Imagine my shock and dismay, my own partner lying to me like that. Then I figured maybe you were just too chicken shit, so I went ahead and I did it myself. Figuring if they took it, you'd be happy. And if they didn't, you wouldn't know the difference. So sue me. These are the golden years. We gotta prove our mothers wrong. Don't waste them. We gotta prove our mothers wrong. Mm. One thing, uh, the the actress here, uh, her name, her name, Marissa, funny enough, her name (laughs) is Marissa Matrone. This is her only film role ever. Oh. And I was like, after that scene, she should have put that in her demo reel and got more work. Because she, yeah. she's awesome in that scene. Yeah. Yeah, she, she is. She really pulled it off, you know. And I was, I was like, I don't like you, but you're not wrong here. Yeah, I was like, you really shouldn't have told your friend to dress up in expensive clothes owned by someone else. But I do. I mean, I, I think she she had, you know. Chops the best right in, there. Yeah, she had the best intentions there to apply on her friend's behalf. You yeah. know, give her that confidence. It's like, yo. You got a shot with this, you know. Don't yeah. throw it away. That's fair. Don't Ooh. throw away that shot. <laughs> I will not throw away my shot. Wow. I think like that. That was an act of real friendship. I think who among us wouldn't do our best for our friends, like when they felt like they couldn't. But and so that scene is basically the only time I forgive stuff. Ever other otherwise terrible character. <laughs> and then like maybe that explains why she was saying like you don't love that man. <laughs> You know, you need to be a manager. Yep. I work too hard. I mean, you work too hard. I work too hard. Either way, um, I, I think the that subplot with the the working class issues is probably the best part of this movie. Yeah. You know, and it's the stuff that stuck with me the most. Uh, that scene that I just played, that was the best scene in the movie. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. That's all I got on Made in Manhattan, honestly. Yeah. It was, it's, it was like... A li- not hard to decide what we want to talk about, but it's it's not super exhaustive because it is, again, pretty by the numbers. It is very simple. Mm. Very simple in a lot of ways. But uh, you know what? It's better than? I was like, so it, it is better than Attack of the Clones. Absolutely. Yes, it 100%. is better than that. Here's the thing. Do you recommend Made in Manhattan? Eh, yeah. Honestly, like not as a like, uh, this is the event for the night, but you know, if you're like doing something clean, put it on. I'm like, no, I don't recommend it. Well, okay, that's fair. It's not like if I was going to give you like, if you're like, I need a Cinderella adaption, this is not the one. (laughs) I'm like, okay, I do not recommend this movie. It is not good enough to to be a movie that you should watch unless you've just watched 
Star Wars Attack of the Clones <laughs> or something equally bad because it'll look like Citizen Freaking Kane mm. next to that. <laughs> so yeah, like this this movie no. no yeah. Don't 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 seek this one out. There's That's better rom-coms out there. That's true. <laughs> you know, this one just so happens to be better than Star Wars. Yeah. Which was not difficult. But what did the world think? Mm. They agreed. <laughs> <laughs> Made Manhattan was a financial success, grossing $154 million against these $55 million budget. So nice. Yeah, that's pretty good. Not not Star Wars money, but pretty good. The film, however, received a mixed critical reception with many critics calling it out for its formulaic, cliched plot. Mm. Time yeah. Out, for example, said, quote, Talented individuals labor over the contrivances of this lightweight romance. And if the results fluff, at least it's painless. <laughs> like that's so that's a good that's a good one. And film threat said, quote, when we catch ourselves sighing at the end, we get mad that we've fallen for the same old formula all over again. But mad in a nice way. <laughs> that the the ending that's of this fair. movie is the worst part. Mm. I was just love no, the magazines no no at the very end i was just like oh like <laughs> like because i saw the whole movie coming and i mm. knew okay yeah we're gonna get the the you know second act blues and mm. you know and then we're gonna have the 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 realization at the end is like no we need to make this work we did have something special and like it, it's it's so sentimental at the end it sucks <laughs> what would you have preferred i don't i don't know there's nothing you can do but i think that's the disappointment it's like you did what you had to do, but it's <laughs> you wrote yourself into a corner. You did, and it's like you have no you have no escape. You know, yeah. it's like this is the ending we all deserve. You put baby in a corner. This is the ending we deserve. <laughs> Empire said, "Quote: The film constantly falls back on its staple fairy tale plotline, which is so resolutely traditional. It would, it should succeed in charming its target audience. It should. I was charmed." Grandpa Ebert called the film a, quote, skillful, glossy formula picture given life by the appeal of its stars. Well, so I was like, yeah, yeah, I guess, you know, if you're a Jennifer Lopez fan, there's no there's no reason not to watch it. Two for two, Papa Ebert. And the Atlanta Journal-Constitution said, quote, instead of a fairy tale, we have a tale told without imagination. It's Cinderella gone stale. Oh, wow. That's so mean. The casting of Jennifer Lopez was a particular point of discussion amongst critics. Variety, for example, commented that, quote, making the maid a Latina is certainly realistic, but never quite avoids the suggestion that upward mobility is best achieved through marriage into Anglo society. And I was like, there's there's the movie does not confront this yeah. implication, yeah. not at all. But I, I I think it is something that you can like read into yeah i mean they didn't get married at the end yeah they think they, they totally like <laughs> he definitely has the white savior like yeah role you know like this little kid sees him as a king like you know he's gonna rescue me kind of thing rescue yeah. my mom it's a little yeah. it's imp- problematic it's problematic. the implications there mm-hmm. it is just not even touched by the movie itself but True. it's there meanwhile author betty ooh, white Kaklamanadu said the film, quote, proved that a Latin actress can move away from stereotypical supporting roles and effectively become the center of a romantic narrative. Okay. So, cool. All right. Speaking of J-Lo. Oh. She was nominated for Outstanding Actress in a Motion Picture at the NAACP Image Awards. 
Choice Movie Actress Comedy at the Teen Choice Awards, Choice Movie Liar at the Teen Choice Awards, <laughs> and Worst Actress at the Golden Raspberries. Wow. She and Ralph Fiennes were nominated for Choice Movie Lip Lock at the Teen Choice Awards. Ew. Yeah, they lost. Okay, cool. Also, Worst at the Golden Raspberries? What else was out this year? She was not bad. Natalie Portman. <laughs> Oh, nominated. She didn't win. She didn't win. Got it, got it, got it. Neither, got did, it. Neither, neither did Natalie Portman, but yeah. both were nominated. Oof. And in 2010, Time Magazine named Man... Madden Manhattan. <laughs> Mad Max in Manhattan. And in 2010, Time Magazine named Made Manhattan number six on its top 10 worst chick flicks list. What? Top 10? This isn't the worst. I'd put in solid the 20s. <laughs> Top 20 worst. Yeah. What of the legacy of Made for Manhattan? Because there is legacy. Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. Surprisingly. I am surprised. In 2008, ABC announced that it was developing a television adaptation of Made in Manhattan with Jennifer Lopez producing. Despite ABC committing to a put pilot at the time, nothing ever came to fruition and the project is now considered scrapped. Yeah. Like uh, like they said, no, no. It, so a put pilot is basically you develop a pilot and the network commits that even if the pilot does not go to series, we will air the pilot as a special. Huh. Even that didn't happen. Wow. So something really bad must have happened. Yeah. Yikes. However, a successful telenovela adaptation titled Una Made in Manhattan... Oh, my gosh. Aired for 168 episodes on Telemundo from 2011 to 2012. That's a lot, and I want to see it. Una made in Manhattan. Where can I? Internet, help me. I need to see at least the first two episodes, I think it might. I think it might be on YouTube. Oh, my gosh. I need it. But I'm going to watch it on YouTube because <laughs> I don't want to mess up my recommendations. So, yeah, if you want to watch the telenovela version, it's out there somewhere. I will. Yeah. I will be watching it. And that's made for Manhattan. Woo. It's where? Huh? You just want to say made for. That's made for Manhattan. Uh. <laughs> Next order of business. Oh, kids, I just want to check in. You guys doing all right? <laughs> did you did you enjoy that? Do you want to be a made in Manhattan or do you want to be a war of clones? <laughs> do you want to be a clown? <laughs> we got runners uh, up now, right? We do in fact have runners up. What could have we what could have we watched instead? Well, we could have been blessed instead of cursed for you by watching Big Fat Liar. That is that movie, like, I remember it being pretty fun, and we watched it a bunch. I think it made me like that's a movie, honestly, that made me fall in love with movie making because in that movie, Frankie Muniz and Amanda Bynes, mm-hmm. they're like they travel to Hollywood to get back at an evil movie producer right played by paul giamatti but they basically sneak into the universal studio lot Mm -hmm. you know they take the tour you go Mm -hmm. to universal studios theme park and they take the 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 back lot tour and they jump off the tram which you're not supposed to do Um, no but they end up like living in like the the prop uh uh, sound stage Mm. you know and they so you get to see a lot of behind the scenes Universal Studio stuff, hmm. which fascinated me as a ten-year-old. Ah, uh, I think don't think you would like it as an adult because there's a lot of gross-out humor in it, from what I remember. Probably, or like just messy. It's also really mean-spirited, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, everyone's mean. Uh, everyone sucks. Um, we also could have been watching Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Spider-Man? With Toby. Yes. 
I, that movie another was another New York centric movie. Yeah, no, that movie was huge. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was it was an event, and it's like I think the only reason Star Wars beat it was the DVDs. I had Star Wars on DVD. Yeah, yeah. like I had Spider Man on DVD, and I did watch it on a bunch. But the Star Wars movies just had those DVDs. Honestly, those Star Wars DVDs were actually really good packages because mm. you got the movie, you got a lot of behind the scenes documentaries mm-hmm. and a lot of commentaries. Yeah, so. It's like what I would watch or put on while I was doing my homework right. a lot. Um, we also could have been watching Lilo and Stitch. That is a movie that my sisters love. <laughs> my older sister named her dogs after this movie. That's true. We have a Lilo and a Nani out there. We do. And do it's you like, not like it? I like it. I, I've just seen it a bunch and I, like, I, I want to go back and watch it because I feel like I'd appreciate it more. Yeah. Because it's a very like drama heavy Mm-hmm. Disney movie, you know, because like the the sister drama, it's like you know what it's like having to deal with social services when you're a single. Yeah, like you're not even your mom. You're not this child's mom. You're her sister. And you you're had trying to stop to make your it work. entire life so that you can make sure your sibling. It's it it hits where it it's hits overwhelming. It. Yes, yeah. let's watch it and cry. <laughs> um, and we also could have been watching Twin Towers. The two towers. Yes. <laughs> no. No more Twin Towers. Nope. We could have been watching the two towers. Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, which is another movie I saw in the theater. I, I think I saw, I don't think I saw Lilo and Stitch in theaters, but mm. most of those movies I saw in theaters. I saw Spider Man at the drive in. <laughs> but um, yeah, The Twin Towers. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> the, the Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, mm-hmm. uh, was a movie we saw multiple times in the theater. It was like me and my friend Mike, and, you know, we would just go. You're just like, we're not, we're not busy. Let's just go watch some there's a, there's, I'm like, towers. So I, I didn't watch. Uh, Fellowship of the Ring in the theater. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure I saw the Two Towers first in mm. theaters because my friends liked it, you know. And so I didn't know what was going on. I didn't understand the relationships <laughs> or whatever. But it's pretty un- like other than the political stuff, it's pretty simple to know. It's like, yeah, you, these two hobbits are going to drop a ring in a volcano. Like right. they're going to the post office. Like it's it's very Zelda, honestly. It's like mm. they're traveling from point A to point B. It's very yeah. simple. But like. I, w- I was way too immature and young to like really appreciate the the adult storylines in that movie. Mm-hmm. There's a scene where there's a I, I don't know. Sorry, Lord of the Rings fans. I don't know a lot about it. Um, there is a king character who loses his son, you know, mm-hmm. and he's weeping over his son's grave. Right. Yeah. We thought it was the funniest. Thing. <laughs> we la- we like imagine going to the theater and oh, you no. hear three 11 year olds just cr- like dying laughing at this poor old man who's lost his son and you went multiple times oh gosh i hope somebody called like security and got you kicked out (laughs) wow yeah gosh well that's all we could have been watching for you honestly i'm glad we didn't have to watch the two towers because it's too much for we're we're in that that period in the 2000s where everyone wanted to make a trilogy Um, trilogies were big yeah most of those movies you mentioned were part of a trilogy Yep. No. Even Stitch. Oh, I guess it was. You're right. Um, for me, we could have been watching Eight Mile. Um, because again, kids, I don't rewatch movies like I rewatch TV shows. Spaghetti. Wow. Um, So really, if I've seen a movie three times, it's on this list (laughs) because movies that I see the most that I wasn't forced to watch more than once. uh, You had one shot, one opportunity. Oh my gosh, go home. Um, I've only seen that movie once. Yeah, it's good. I, I saw it. I was too young. Eh. That's another movie. It's like I'd probably like it if I watch it again as an adult. Mm, there's a lot of grit 
there's a lot of grit in it. It's a I rem- lot. I know, of, yeah, I know that. Yeah, yeah, I so I was just like I was. I said it's a good movie, but I was like, uh, you know, should I have been watching that movie? As Probably much not. As I did. Probably not. But I watched it. Um, we also could have been watching a Walk to Remember, which is, all these movies are a, way a, more up my alley than Made in Sparks Manhattan. Thing? It is. It's the only Nicholas Sparks movie that I like. Is it is it a better rom com than, than than this? Oh, absolutely. So oh. what it's about? It has it has Mandy Moore in it. Uh, okay. It's a better rom-com because you believe the romance because you actually watch it grow over the space of like months. Um, and the movie, kids, spoilers, close your ears. The movie is about um, a like cool guy, jo- he's like way too cool for school kind of thing. They're all high school students. And uh, do you care? Uh, okay. <laughs> um, uh, who... Is in the cool group. Some other kid wants to be in the cool group. They go to like the levee or whatever at they night. They drove their Chevy to the levee. And they um, were like, oh yeah, if you want to be in a group, you just got to jump off of this thing into this like water. Ha 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 ha. And then he actually does it. And they're like, oh, we didn't expect him. There was a, a pipe that this boy fell on. I'm pretty sure my, he, my little sister watches movie. Right. So like basically he breaks his back and stuff. And the, he, uh, the main guy, I think his name is Shane, stayed there and like was caught by the cops. So he has to do like extracurricular, whatever. And so there's a girl in school who's just really Christian and very whatever. And they slowly fall in love. But uh, and at like the a, beginning, there's a Christian dad. Yes. Yes. My little sister definitely yes. watched this movie. And I laughed at that Christian dad. It's this is just not like there's like a line where the, the, he the dad's yelling at the the sister the, the daughter right mm-hmm. he's yelling at Mandy Moore he's like this is just not biblical mm-hmm. or something so, like that I don't know but it's like interesting in that it is because like they end up having to work together and she says at the very beginning you're not allowed to fall in love with me and he's like uh-huh, okay I won't and then slowly does and then um when he's like I'm sorry like my bad she was like I have leukemia I am dying <laughs> and she dies hey. I told you spoilers. Um, it's a good movie. It's like one of those ones where like, oh, heart wrenching. But I think I rewatched it recently, and there were some of the things, and there was like, mm. <laughs> it doesn't hold up. But yeah, um, we also could have been watching Minority Report. I'm pretty sure I flipped a coin between um, Men in Manhattan and Minority Report. Uh, Minority Report is a little bit darker. Is that Tom it's Cruise. Tom Cruise. It's one of two Tom Cruise movies that I like. It's one of the two Steven Spielberg movies to come out this year. Huh. In 2002, I think he directed that and another movie. Okay. It's a good movie. Have you ever seen it? Nope. It's a good movie. I haven't watched it in years. So it was a good movie in my recollection. <laughs> if I watch it again, I'm not sure. Uh, we also could have been watching Kong Pao Into the Fist. Oh, man. Watched that a lot. I've definitely seen that one time. Mm, it's definitely not a, a you movie. It's 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 a funny idea, but like... If it I, goes on too long, the gag. I f- if I if I remember correctly, it's like it's funny at first, but it's it goes on too long. Mm. It would have been better as a short film. That's fair. Or something that they aired on like Saturday Night Live or something. I don't disagree with you. YouTube There's just a channel. lot you, of little you, bits. YouTube didn't exist back then, so you couldn't make short form entertainment like mm-hmm. that. You know, it had to be a movie or nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's a goof. It's it's a whole goof. It's a goof. And uh the last movie we could have been watching, but we definitely didn't. Bowling for Columbine. Oh, I'm very glad we did not have to talk about that on the podcast. Yeah. Okay, kids. Bowling for Columbine, if you didn't know, is a documentary film by Michael Moore Mm -hmm. uh, about school shootings and the aftermath of the Columbine massacre. 
and we, gun control and uh, militias and all kinds of horrible things that definitely aren't relevant today and haven't been, you know, haven't continued to be a problem for 20 years. Kids, we watched this in 2019, I think, or really or early 2020 before the pandemic, um, like really got into into like swing and it's like two hours long and about 15 minutes in we had to take a break we had to take multiple breaks. we had to take multiple breaks we had to watch this over several days it's not easy and you might ask yourself why did you watch this uh my mom had it on dvd and she thought it was important for us to watch it and we watched it maybe once or twice with her but i feel like i remember watching it in school or something like i watched this enough times that like some stuff I would be like, what is happening? And then I'd get instant recall before something would happen in the documentary. It is a hard, hard thing. If you're a teacher, do not watch it. Hi, my teacher friends out there. Don't watch it. We decided that I definitely watched other movies more than that. So I flipped a coin and we just, we are discussing made in Manhattan, this which is, is that, a better vibe. You told me that it, you, you were convinced anyway. Like I was. A happy and accident that, you're, that you said, no, Made for Manhattan is definitely your movie. Yes. Yes. And we are all better for it. Because if I had had to watch that again in the year of our Lord, 2023, I would have I would have ended something. I couldn't. Couldn't do it. It's too much. Amen. Jesus saves. Anyway, kids, um, that's, 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 you got some plugs? <laughs> got some plugs. <laughs> if you like the show, you can do some favors. You can follow the show on your podcast platform of choice. Leave us reviews, please. I beg you. Yeah. We, we you know, we want to see some stars. Tell <laughs> us what you think of the show. You can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at Media Mate Show. Uh, there we will post links to, and pictures and other things that we find that are cool. Maybe clips even, from the telenovela. Yeah, maybe even clips of Una Made and Manhattan. <laughs> uh, what else we got? Uh, follow me on Twitter at Rod the Master. I will most likely be retweeting uh, uh, pictures of Kirby and mm -hmm. Sonic the Hedgehog. And uh, I, I put up, <laughs> I put up like a like a, like a list of songs that I thought captured the mood and energy of every year for the past like forty five years. <laughs> it's pretty fun. Maybe I'll retweet that on Media Maids Twitter. Um, I host a YouTube show called Keep Kayfabe. That's K-A-Y-F-A-B-E, where we talk all about professional wrestling. Not soon, but someday, we'll be releasing an episode about NWO Sting, the bogus Sting of the New World Order. So look forward to that. And I write for a video game website called ZeldaDungeon.net. So if you like The Legend of Zelda, check that out. If you are looking for me, I have a YouTube channel called Taming Tales. It is on YouTube. And there I uh, vlog and occasionally share stories that I've written. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. And also, you can buy oh, us Ryan. a coffee. <laughs> you can buy us a coffee on coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com slash media made. We deserve a coffee after the first half of this. Buy me a dang coffee, kid. Yeah, so if you want to, you know, send some money our way, like actual tangible money that we can spend. <laughs> <laughs> on new pop filters. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can help us support us there. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, we're going to close out this show with a song from Made for Manhattan. <laughs> Made for Manhattan. <laughs> uh, it's, I'm coming out by Diana Ross. Hey. That, that scene where they're like, you don't love that man. You know, I, I told you it felt like, I was like, are they going to break into song? This yeah. felt like a scene from like uh, Guys with guys and Dolls or uh, uh, West Side Story or something. 
Mm, yeah, it did feel like that. <laughs> and then they sang, I'm coming out. <laughs> they want the world to know. So they got to let us show. Yep. So uh, with that said, we'll see you all next time with our music of 2002. And remember, kids, have good friends and have better romances, please. <laughs>